Baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you wanna feel. Say what you wanna say. You're gonna die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? My beloved podcast listeners, welcome. Very nice to be with you again. Uh, episode 40, what? what is it, 46 now, I think, something like that. We're pushing 50. We are pushing 50, ladies and gentlemen. Never thought it would happen, uh, but it has. Yeah, this will be episode 46. Last 45 was Ari Shafir. 44 was my brand new son-in-law, Hugo Chichava, South African rapper, all-around cool dude. 43 was Irish author extraordinaire Frank Delaney, in which you get to hear me talk about literature with a true literary great. Uh, 42 was Marissa, born a boy, but is now a girl most of the time. Very interesting person. 41, Dan Savage, dynamic Dan Savage, amazing guy. 40, Jamie Ian Swiss, incredible close-up magician, scientific skeptic, very smart, very cool, um, very kind. Took took us took me and a bunch of friends, including the great Duncan Trussell, uh, on a VIP guided tour of the Magic Castle in Hollywood after we recorded episode number forty. Um, so we're rolling, and we're rolling strong. I have got right now probably about twenty episodes banked. Uh, that are, I'm just going to release them week after week, uh, as long as I can, if I've got internet access, I'll be, uh, I think I'll be out of access, uh, out of touch, uh, in for about 10 days, late January. So I might miss a week. I'll try. It depends. You want to talk about your uh, first world problem? Wow. Do I have a first world problem right now? Got back from Africa uh, as some of you know, I was in uh, Mozambique for Casilda's daughter's wedding for three weeks. Fantastic in uh, Mozambique in South Africa. Anyway, got back and, uh, you know, going through all the airports and all that. I saw, yeah, my, my passport's going to expire in June, which is about six months out. And sometimes you can't get a visa for th countries if your passport's going to expire in less than six months. So it's getting into the danger zone. I've got nothing planned, no international travel plan for a few months, so it's a good time to send it in. So download the forms, put my old passport in there, throw in some a money order, uh, 105 bucks. Uh, it's another 60 bucks or something if you want to expedite it, but no need to expedite it. I'm not going anywhere. Send it off last Friday. Send it in to be renewed. Saturday, I get an email from a friend who's got this big-ass yacht. Uh, saying, hey, you guys want to come and cruise for 10 days in the Sea of Cortez on January 20th? Really, dude? Really? So I've been sort of engaged in panicky phone conversations with various people at the passport office, some of whom tell me, oh, it will never get it done in time for that, and others of whom tell me, oh, dude, don't worry about it. You know, that's easy. You know, problem, blah, blah, blah. So who knows? I, I ended up 
sending, giving them more money and hope they'll get it to me in time. I bought the ticket. So anyway, uh, long and the short of it is I may be on a yacht in the Sea of Cortez from the 20th of January till the 2nd of February. The yacht's got internet connection, but I don't think they're going to want me uploading, you know, 60 megabyte podcasts. So uh, that might not happen. So if you are impatiently waiting (laughs) for another episode uh, and that week nothing comes, you know why. So uh, my apologies. But, man, I've got so many great episodes banked. Uh, The great Thaddeus Russell, that's going to come soon. He's the, um, uh, what's he describe himself as? Hardcore historian? No, I think someone else has that title. Uh, Kick-ass historian, I think, is Danielli. Bolelli, uh, Thaddeus Russell's a bad boy historian. He's he's a libertarian free thinker. Uh, he wrote a really good book. Anyway, that's coming soon. I'll tell you more about that when I post it. Jason Goldman, very interesting biologist. Cindy Gallup, make love not porn. Um, Stanton Peel's episode. He's a, a great uh, theorist and, and therapist who deals with addiction. He argues addiction is not a disease. He's been sort of lonely in that position in the last couple of decades, but I think people are starting to come around to his way of seeing things. He's got a new book that's coming out, I think, February 5th. So we'll we'll drop his episode that week. Betty Dodson, the great uh, female orgasm expert, Conrad Schmidt uh, from the Work Less Party. Uh, So many interesting, oh my God, this week I recorded some incredible, incredible conversations. Uh, My friend Chris James, um, don't know when we'll drop that one, but what a life. Oh my God. I mean, he was there when the tsunami hit in Thailand. He worked for 10 days pulling bodies out of rubble. Uh, you know, he, uh, oh, and that's not even the most interesting part of his story. He's a musician, a filmmaker, an actor, a director. He's just a uh, all around uh, a Renaissance guy, very cool guy. Uh, and he just got a record contract like two days ago. <laughs> so it's like busy. Uh, Sex Nerd Sandra, another Connor Habib episode we just recorded. I had a long conversation with a woman named Ginger Norwood the other day, who is, I think she's 77, 78, something like that. Um, one of the first women uh, to reach the upper echelons of um, high tech uh, orbital kind of stuff like she designed landsat which is the first satellite that mapped the surface of the earth she designed the communication system on the first um uh rocket or or or, or what, what's it called a spaceship or whatever that made a soft landing on the moon she's she's a cutting edge genius engineer physicist mathematician who also happens to be a woman. She's And she met some, you know, she's met Richard Feynman and, you know, chatted with him in the parking lot after class. She took classes with him. Um, interesting, very, very interesting woman. So there's a lot of good stuff coming. Uh, I'll try not to hold out on you because now, like, more and more people are listening to this. I'm getting more and more beautiful emails from people, um, getting donations, which I very much appreciate. Uh, let's go to some of those fantastic email from Stephen Chan, a very 
intimate, personal, moving, you know, we're not going to talk about the, the subject matter, but uh, just a shout out to Stephen. Uh, Jeremy McMahon, fantastic. Thank you. Uh, Louis Fellman, uh, Sanjing Varga, Kay Trout, Marie Francois, uh, very interesting stuff from people. Um, Connor O'Neill, thank you for the donation. Uh, Delton uh, McLemore, thank you. Jeremy Sherrill, thank you very much. Uh, David Meehan, Christopher Harrison, thank you all for uh, your emails and your support. Uh, the beautiful Elizabeth in Australia for your continuing support. And um, this episode is brought to you by Squarespace. You've heard me talk about them before. Just bear with me while I talk about them a little more. My personal site, chrisryanphd.com, is a Squarespace production. Actually, no, it's a Chris Ryan production using Squarespace. That's what's so cool about it. You're not paying someone else to put together your website. You put it together. It's easy. Trust me. I am an idiot when it comes to this stuff. If I can do it, you can do it. In fact, since most of you are younger than me, if I can do it, you could probably do it in half the time. Uh, it's If you're thinking of doing a, putting, setting up a website for yourself, and why not? It's so fucking cheap these days. Uh, it's like eight bucks it's it's you know 10 bucks something like that a, a month for their introductory package which allows you to use all their templates all their stuff and you get if you do a like a one-year thing you get um a free url so it's you know that's another 10 bucks right that you save right off that and then if you put in tangent one t-a-n-g-e-n-t number one you get another 10% off because uh, you came from me. And also they'll say, hey, that guy, Chris Ryan, his listeners are signing up. Let's sponsor him some more. So it works for everybody. It's a great site. It's a very cool tool. You go in. There are templates. You choose a template. You upload some stuff. You put in some text, put up some photos, whatever. And then you can just say, wonder what this would look like with another template. And you just go click and boom. It takes all that stuff, all that content that you put in there and it moves it into this other template, knows where to put it, knows how to arrange it. You can mess with it. You can drag and drop, put things in different places, change the fonts, the colors. You can, If you're a tinkerer, you can tinker. But if you're not a tinkerer, it's not obligatory. You can just slap that shit up there and see how it looks. Um, you know, I said this in a, in a previous podcast, but imagine how cool that would be if you could do that in life, right? Like if you could say, okay, take the content, take like you know, my general level of health and, you know, being born into this type of family and this kind of economic thing and whatever. And just like, let's plug all that stuff into China. What would I be like as a Chinese person? You know, what would my life be like? Or Nigeria or Hawaii in 1300, you know, wouldn't that be cool to just sort of take, take the stuff that's uniquely you and strip away all the arbitrary cultural happenstance and just plug that into different settings. There must be there must be an interesting book or movie somewhere in there. Maybe that's what that Cloud Atlas. I never saw that. Uh I was really excited about seeing it. When I saw the the uh, excerpts and the the trailers and stuff, I thought, "Wow, that's really cool because it's about these characters and this sort of the same characters in different historical epics and and interacting with each other, which seems like a very 
pregnant idea, a very, a very rich kind of uh, concept. But then I read reviews and the reviews just trashed it, which is too bad because it was big budget and it was the, the Wachowski uh, siblings. I say siblings because, as some of you may know, they were the Wachowski brothers and then one of them had a sex change. Uh, Lana, I think, I think her name is. And by the way, if you want to, if you want to see a really beautiful, uh, completely uncontrived little talk, Google Lana Wachowski awards acceptance speech or something like that. She never talked about her private situation, her personal life uh, publicly, but she decided to give a, to give a talk. Uh, hold on. I'm, I'm going to put you on pause and I'm going to find that. Yeah. This is the cool thing about uh, Rogan's podcast that, that I don't have. He, if something comes up in conversation, he can just Google it and slap it up on the stream and you can see it. But since I'm audio only, I'm just, I'm going to put you on pause and then tell it. It's Lana Wachowski, W-A-C-H-O-W-S-K-I. Uh, just Google her name and H-R-C- Award and that'll take you to the YouTube, um, the YouTube uh, file of her speech. It's got five hundred and six thousand hits at this point. Uh, it's a it's a really beautiful talk she gives about um, <clears throat> her experience, and um, I, I highly recommend you check it out. Anyway, what the hell was I talking about? Squarespace, check them out. Great customer service. They're fantastic. If you get confused, you get lost, you're not sure how to do something. It's very intuitive. Even so, you know, you hit a dead end occasionally. I did. What happens? You open a ticket, send them a thing. First of all, they've got like a great support database. Hold on while I take a hit of this beer. This podcast is also brought to you by Anchor Steam, San Francisco's finest beer since 1896. Uh, You hit a dead end. There's support, great support. There's um, there are forums. There's all that stuff. But you can just open a ticket. Hey, I don't know how to do this. Within 24 hours, somebody's back to you. They're back to you, not only explaining how to do it, but if it's the least bit complicated, they'll make a little video embedded in the email. So you get an email with a video saying, look, you just drag this here, and then you click that, and da-da-da. It's fantastic. The best customer service I've come across in a long time. So... Squarespace.com. If you put in tangent, T-A-N-G-E-N-T-1, uh, for the code, whenever you're checking out, you get 10% off. If you go for a year at 8 bucks a month, you'll also get uh, the URL included. Fantastic. And if you ever want to leave, by the way, it's WordPress. So you can just extract the files and take your information with you somewhere else. So I haven't done that. I don't know how hard or how easy that is. But uh, from what I read before I signed up, that's an important thing to have. And they've got it. Very cool. This week's guest, speaking of very cool, is a very cool guy. His name's Todd Strauss Schulson. He's uh, a film director. He directed uh, the last Harold and Kumar movie, which was a 3D extravaganza. Uh, and which is big. I mean, that's big budget, big Hollywood, you know, craziness. And so he did that, uh, did a great job on it. And he does uh, a lot of short films. And in fact, today, as I record this, which will be yesterday, because I'm going to put this up tomorrow, which is your today. <clears throat> you got that? 
uh, he's got a film that is just released. So it's called, let me see, you want to go to ulteriorproductions.com, U-L-T-E-R-I-O-R productions.com. And the new short that's just out is called All's Fair. I watched it this morning. I literally laughed out loud, which would be L-L-O-L. I literally laughed out loud. It was so fucking funny. And and watch it, you know, listen to a little of the podcast and then watch it. Or watch it and then listen to the podcast. It doesn't matter. But do the two things, like, more or less so you've got one in your head while you're doing the other. Because you can hear in the podcast that he's kind of... He's a little bummed out. I mean, he doesn't he hasn't lost his sense of humor. He's hilarious, uh, but he's bummed out. He's just had a painful breakup with someone he really loved, maybe still loves, I hope. Because let's face it, folks, love is not dependent upon whether or not you're in a relationship with someone. You can love someone who's dead. You can love someone who's moved on and married someone else. Hold on to the love. That's beautiful. Let the relationship go if it's going. But he was he's he's bummed you know you can hear it in his voice he's not really happy but he's in the midst of making this movie about his dejection his pain his suffering which is such a cool thing to do right if you're a filmmaker that's what you do if you're a musician you write a song about it i don't know if you if you listen to beck my favorite beck album is uh sea change which is about it's basically his expression of despair when he had a relationship that fell apart. Beautiful music. Oh, Lost Cause. There's some great songs on there. You're not going to be dancing to them, right? It's not, you know, uh, it's not it's not the kind of thing you want to be playing at a party, but really beautiful, moving music. And Todd did the same thing, but Todd's movie is hilarious. It's very funny. And he's the guy, by the way, he gives himself a little cameo. He's the guy, the dejected, mm, the, the the guy who got dropped, calls for commiseration. So he's like on screen for about a minute. That's Todd. Uh, very funny guy, very talented filmmaker. And it's cool to see a guy who's like done the, you know, 10, 15, 20 million dollar big budget Hollywood movie. It's cool to see him working with his friends. And taking all that talent and know-how and putting together something that's very personal and intimate and 10 minutes long. There's something really, really cool about that. All right. I can't imagine what the hell else I have to talk about. I interviewed um, Daniele Bolelli. Interviewed. uh, You know, Daniele Bolelli and I set up mics and chatted for two hours yesterday. And uh, uh, that's an evergreen, so I don't know when that'll come out. I'm trying not to... You know, people who really care about, you know, people who have never been interviewed, they get excited about like, oh, I'm going to be, oh, I'm in a podcast. And they tell their friends and then five months later, it still hasn't aired, you know. So I'm trying, I want to like let those people get their, get their episodes out um, so Daniele can wait. But but what I was going to say is those of you who know Daniele and love him, if you, to know him is to love him, uh, we were we were chatting and he was telling me some stuff about growing up. He was... Um, he he was talking about being in a brothel in Mexico, traveling with his mother, and they just got this cheap hotel, and it turned out to be a brothel, and they're like lying there at night, horrified. Um, his mother was seventeen when he was born, 
And his mother was, in fact, I saw his mother walking into the house. She was watering the plants. That's your mother? Because she, you know. Anyway, uh, so I I sort of jokingly said, man, I'd I'd love to interview your mother. She sounds amazing. She really does. And um, to my surprise, Daniele spoke to her and she agreed. Uh, So I'm going to be interviewing Daniele Bolelli's mother next week which I am really looking forward to. That's pretty exciting. You know, while I'm talking about interviews, I should tell you another um, another idea I've got for interviews is to interview, go to like hospices and interview people who are dying. And, or you know what I mean by interview, my kind of interview, which is more of a conversation. Um but with the the stipulation being, I won't release this while you're alive, and see what sorts of conversations people can get into. I don't want it to be the you know I should have hugged my children more conversation. I want it to be the you know I'm almost out of here, so I don't give a shit, and you know I'm going to say the stuff I never said conversation. That that's what I want. I, I want that sort of. And I don't know if I'll have trouble finding those people. You know, I want that sort of like, yeah, I'm old. I don't give a shit kind of person, you know. Um, maybe I won't find them. Maybe maybe I'm being presumptuous even thinking that uh, that this would be, you know, that I have any right to to intrude on these moments in people's lives. But if you think that's a cool idea, let me know. Tweet at me. I'm Chris Ryan, Ph.D. Send me an email if you want. Uh Tangential, I think. What the hell is my email? I, I set up a special email for the for the podcast, but I can't remember what it is. <laughs> so, tweet, so tweet at me, or if you're on Facebook, I've got a fan page, Sex at Dawn fan page on on Facebook. I think it's just called Sex at Dawn. So search Sex at Dawn, you'll find me there. Always happy to hear from people. Thank you for listening. Really appreciate it. Check out Squarespace.com and Anchor Steam Beer. Thanks. Bye. Wait just a minute. I know I said I was gone. I know I said the intro was over, but I was just putting this podcast together and I I realized two things. First of all, I forgot to talk about Sure Design t-shirts, which is the most egregious kind of sin. It's like it's the sin of forgetting about your friends because they're your friends. So you just talk about some new guy you met, this new Squarespace dude who's like been hanging out recently and it's really cool. And you forget the guy who was there all along, the guy who picks you up at the airport, the guy who like, you know, gives your mother a ride to the hospital when you're off doing something else and you can't make it. You forget the guy who has been there through thick and thin since the very beginning. And that's Bennett. In Chiang Mai, Thailand, who puts together the T-shirts that you will find on my site, chrisryanphd.com. Go to the store. You'll see the Sex at Dawn shirts. And as of just recently, you'll see the Tangentially Speaking shirts and hoodies. We just sent one to Iceland yesterday. Somebody in Iceland. Hello, Iceland. Once, I'll tell, wait a minute, I should find that person's name and thank them by name because that's just too damn cool that we're sending a shirt to Iceland. Joseph DeLuca, no, that's the United States. Josh Meager, no, that's the United States. Ray Hiralal, Hiralal, 
Um, I just sent one to Toronto today. I sent your shirt out today. It's on its way, Ray. Uh, here it is. Gunnar Arneson, Reykjavik, Iceland. Gunnar, your your men's sexodon medium t-shirt is on its way, brother. Thank you for the order. Anyway, uh, Sure Design t-shirts, check them out, suredesigntshirts.com. They're in Thailand. They make these really soft, wonderful shirts. If you ever listen to the Duncan Trussell podcast, you've heard him talk about how they're made from Thai pubic hair. I can't do it as well as Duncan. I can't even, I can't even, I, if I were reading his words, it would just sound dumb. But he does it and it's hilarious. Anyway, I, I can't put out a podcast without mentioning Shore Design t-shirts. So sorry, Bennett, for forgetting that when I was talking about beer and and all the other stuff earlier. Uh, that's That's one of the downsides of slapping together a podcast like this with uh all on your own and i guess i could blame it on the anchor steam right also i wanted to make a shout out to reva and aaron (laughs) okay here's the thing reva is the daughter of good friends of mine and reva herself is a good friend of mine and her friend aaron uh i had dinner with them uh new year's day and it's very, very funny because Aaron listens to the podcast. And I, I think I'd met Aaron once before, but we'd only spoken a little bit. And it was kind of a surreal thing where, you know, I'd say, you know, oh, just like normal dinner party conversation. You know, oh, yeah, I lived in New York for a while in the 80s. And she'd be like, oh, yeah, that's when you worked in the Diamond District with uh, that guy and blah, blah. And she'd like and, – and for a moment I was like, did I already tell that story? You know, did I like tonight or the last time I met her? Did I tell her really weird? No, heard it on the podcast. So, so Aaron knows me a lot better than I know Aaron anyway. Um, but uh, just want to make a shout out to Aaron. I know you're listening. <laughs> Thank you. All right. I'll get to the podcast now. Ciao. Who's the, who are this, the singers that like? Were they Vegas guys who would do the? You know, they they've got the mic and the stand, and they drag it around with Stephen Tyler. Stephen Tyler. <laughs> who the fuck is Stephen Tyler? He's like Aerosmith, man. Oh yeah. See, I never got into Aerosmith. Yeah, I was too. It might be an age thing. I think Aerosmith was like after I got out of college and like stopped listening to music because I was traveling all the time. <laughs> you know, isn't traveling the best time to listen to music? 
Well, I, but, she, you know, I was listening. This is pre-podcast days. I mean, pre-iPod days. So I was, like, you know, limited to whatever cassettes I wanted to carry. In You're my old, though. What did you have, like a beta? Like a beta thing? You walked around with, like, a gigantic tape player? No, no. I had a Walkman. <laughs> <laughs> I did have a Walkman. But so it was, like, you carry a record player around with you? <laughs> That's right. And vinyl. Sucks. Vinyl weighs a lot. <laughs> All right, sound check. So, so say something else. I wasn't looking while you were talking. Oh, my name is Todd Strauss Olson. Uh-huh. I'm sucking on an electronic cigarette. <laughs> Feeling a little bit out of it. All right. All right. Well, <laughs> welcome to Tangentially Speaking with Dr. Christopher Ryan and Todd Strauss Olson, who is in fact sucking on an electronic cigarette. It just and the end changes color. It's the first time I've seen that. I'm sucking on it like a binky. What is a binky? A binky is like a blanket that babies carry around to feel comfort oh oh <laughs> do they do they change color when you suck on them uh no. let's let's list things that change color when <laughs> jesus christ on. already <laughs> already well look i i gotta take a picture of you fact, i want to take a picture of you this will be a first is my hair dry yet because when it's dry it has like a nice wave in it oh, but until then it's kind of a mess all right I gotta tell you, this guy—he's not gay. Uh, the the uh, the concern about his hair comes from the fact that he's a Hollywood personality. No, he's just a Jew. <laughs> he's just a Jew who's hyper aware of his thoughts and his body, and sitting beneath a giant asshole. I think it's just a lacquered piece of canvas, but that's that's more your stuff than my stuff, I think, man. All right, I, I will post the photo I just took. Can I see that photo? Do I get uh, approval of the photo? Uh, well, Snapchat that to me. Snapchat. I, this is a new phone, so I'm not really sure how to do anything. Is that a BlackBerry? It's a Samsung Galaxy S4. That's good. You're sort of looking up toward the asshole. It's a pretty out of focus picture. <laughs> is it? Yeah, but oh, my blame it on my hair Samsung. does look pretty good though. Well, that's all that really matters. <laughs> so, Todd Strauss Scholson, who the hell are you? What are you? What? What? Why am I here? I Keep don't. Why are you here? I, I guess we had nothing to do on Labor Day, huh? But you're so popular. Well, I don't have a job. <laughs> you know, when you don't have a job, you got nothing to do on labor. Um, yeah. Okay. So we met. You read Sex at Dawn. You dropped me a line. And we went out and got drunk somewhere. We both know Duncan Trussell, who was in a short that I had made, and we both were Trussell? talking about. Trussell. Yeah. Is that how you say his name? You say Trussell. Yeah. Duncan Trussell. Yeah. Yeah, but Trussell is. Trussell so... sounds like Howard Cosell. Yeah, Duncan Trussell. It sounds sophisticated in French. He is sophisticated. He ain't French. Not French. Definitely not French. Yeah, I read that book, and I was friends with him, and he was in a short that I made, and I wanted to do a... He's in your short. He's not this new one. He's in another one. Oh, okay. And, uh, yeah, and I, I... What did I send you? A Twitter? I think it's... The kids refer to it as a tweet. Yeah, I tweeted at you. I twatted at you. <laughs> right? That's your kind of sensibility, right? When I say the word twat? Cool. <laughs> twat is the past tweet? <laughs> is that... Yeah, then we got drunk. We had uh, dinner and got drunk. And I wanted to ask you a lot of questions about that book. I was interested in that book. That's right. You were, tr- you were trying to like convince me to get all guru with you. Which, yes, which I, I was trying do. to turn you into a mentor. Yeah. But really, work. you just wanted to talk about your life. I was just there for the free booze. <laughs> you were just there for the booze. <laughs> like most gurus. You know, when you get down to it, it's all about drugs and pussy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, and then you, uh, and then we were like going to get together, do a podcast. This was like over a year ago, right? And mm-hmm. then you moved to New York. I went to New York on a job. I directed this pilot that The Onion was doing. Right. I was in New York for like three and a half months, and then I kind of just stayed. I'm originally from there. Ah, okay. And it was the spring was happening. My family was there. There were uh, friends, and birds um, were singing. Birds were singing. It was beautiful. And LA is like sometimes fairly 
you know, not dismal, gritty, little grim sometimes. Yeah, and so I was just like, I'm going to fucking hang out in New York for a little while. So I started yeah. month to monthing it. New York's great. I, I was just there last week. It was wonderful. City bike. City bike's cool. A good improvement. City bike's New cool. York. Great yeah, improvement. Very nice. Where were you living? Chelsea? I was bouncing around. I had these sublets. So I was in mm-hmm. like Nolita. I was. Nolita. I was like on Elizabeth Spring Lita? for a while. I was on Bro- Broom and Mott. What does Nolita stand? I mean, I'm north thinking of Nabokov. I, north of Lolita. North of Lolita. That's when Lita got a little older. <laughs> she was. No. North of Lolita. A little uh, Italy, I think, right? Oh. North Little Italy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That makes and sense. And then uh, now I'm in the West Village, which I thought was going to be great. I had this uh-huh. fantasy that I'm going to live in the West Village. Christopher and it's Street? so beautiful. Christopher Street. Are no. You- <laughs> on, on Bleecker, like Bleecker and 11th. Uh, I funny. thought it was going to be it's so pretty there and it's yeah. so chill, relaxing. I was right. writing a movie there. So this is going to be a fucking fantasy. I'm a guy. I'm going to live in the West Village. But it turns out that I just live in like uh, I basically live at the Grove. The Grove is a mall in Los Angeles that I live very close to here. Yeah. The West Village is just like that. I live on the Sex and the City tour. I don't live in a real place. There's a bus that drops off tourists across the street from my apartment. They really? can go eat like Magnolia cupcakes and get fat in the park, and Carrie Bradshaw's fake apartments a block away. I live on like a backlot tour of Sex and the City. Seriously, there's nothing authentic about it. Sounds like. All that's just James Purses and fucking Mark Jacobs stores. It's like I live in a mall. Yeah. I, I stayed at the Jane Hotel. That's nice. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool neighborhood. Really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, I find myself going east like quite a bit to do yeah, things. It's a little more authentic. Or... Everyone just stopped listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the most boring podcast of all. We should have scripted this out. <laughs> well, you already told you me. You got to grab them in the beginning. About good stuff. We, we can, can talk about some good stuff. Some good stuff. All right. So, so you're a movie director, uh, a writer. Uh, what the hell? Else? You're you're like a man about town. You're. Uh, you're. I mean, the reason. Okay, here's the thing. People have this idea of what it's like to direct movies. You directed the last Howard and Kumar movie. Oh man, is that right? God bless you. What you just call it? <laughs> Howard. Howard. Christopher Ryan just had a stroke in my apartment. His face is fucking purple. What a disaster! It's only, yeah, only half my face is still working. Harold uh, and Kumar. I directed a very Harold and Kumar Christmas. That's right, yeah, which was in 3D. It was in 3D. It was the first Turner movie ever in 3D, and Owen Gleiberman gave it a A plus. Oh, who? Yeah, Noen Gleiberman, Entertainment Weekly, man. Oh, yeah. See, I'm not. I'm not of your world. You have to couch it with the fact that it actually is not terrible because it (laughs) sounds like it's terrible, but it isn't terrible. It's good. Yeah, and it was my first movie. It's your first movie. Yeah. How did you get a gig? I mean, because that's a franchise. That's like a, a successful franchise. And how do you just like waltz into that? I had wanted to make movies for my whole life. Mm-hmm. I was like that kind of a kid. I was like three years old, and I would scream and cry for my parents to walk me to the theater on Fridays because they right. were changing the posters and the words on the marquee. It was like this really super intense. So I don't know like why. A genetic uh, proclivity to this? Do you think? My mother says that probably it was. Is she or either your parents or anyone in your family? No proximity this to this world at all. They weren't. They weren't movie people at all, you right. know, at all. They were academics, if anything. Huh. And but that was it. I just was into movies, movies yeah. and drawing and all that stuff. And I begged for a video camera for my bar mitzvah, and my grandpa bought me one. And then nice. every day from when I was thirteen until I was eighteen, I made a movie after school. Really? 
just in the house with my sister or my babysitter, and I was usually in them. And then my parents would come home, and I'd show them the day's work. And they're, <laughs> and they sometimes they'd be like, "That was really great." And sometimes they would be like, "I don't know. That one felt a lot like yesterday's." <laughs> Very derivative. It's a little bit derivative. Uh, it didn't make a lot of sense, and I thought that it looked like it was rushed. <laughs> yeah, well, you had two hours to put it together. It was yeah. like it was like Gene Hackman, Royal Tannenbaums. I just didn't buy it. <laughs> so, so were you were you editing them at all, or? just like raw footage from I went to a weird high school that was really small it was like 300 kids uh, grades 1 to 12 and you had to wear a suit it was like Rushmore uh-huh. and and there was no arts there was no one to teach me how to do anything and so I just kind of had this compulsive streak in me where I had a camera and I would watch a ton of movies and every time I found any director or movie that you could see what a director did uh-huh. you know what I mean like you watch Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters is great but it's basically just a movie right but if you saw Hudsucker Proxy, you'd yeah. be like, what the fuck? Right. Or, or like, Hitchcock. Or, or Hitchcock. The or Endless Ar- Takes. Yes. Or Army of Darkness. Or yeah. I was the right age for like when Tarantino had a movie or oh, Paul Thomas Anderson right, had a movie right. come out. And David Fincher had a movie come out. And like all those guys were such like film buffs. They would talk about their influences right. in all the press. Right. So I'd be like, what the fuck is I Am Cuba? Who the fuck is Max Ophels? And so I would sort of be educating myself while I was making things. And I was like 14, 15, 16 years old. So I would just try to like speak the language of any of these guys that I was into. So And you were in Manhattan? I was in Queens. Queens. Grew up in Queens. Okay. Right. So that's what I'd do. I'd make these shorts every day and like attempt to do a chase scene or attempt to figure mm. out what a close up was or right. how do I use a snap zoom or whatever any of this stuff was. And it was all in camera editing. I didn't have a there were no Macintosh computer. Like there was nothing. Yeah, right. You were shooting on film, I guess, or video or what? I had like a super camera that I had like video like S V H S like uh, video cameras. Yeah. Where you couldn't edit, so I would just do in-camera editing. I remember I really wanted an editing machine for, like, a birthday or something. They cost, like, (laughs) $15,000. Grandpa. Grandpa, hey, I have a passion inside of me. Will you support it? Yeah. Or, like, there were, like, dual-deck, like, um, VCRs where you could kind of, like, dub things. kind But it was a mess. It was just a mess. So I'm 33, so I was the age in college when... It started off the first two years on film and flatbeds, and then the second two years, they just got computers. Right. And you learned how to do that. Where'd you go to college? I went to a place called Emerson in Boston. Uh, were you tempted to go to NYU film school? I did not want to go to NYU film school. Really? I didn't want to go to NYU or USC. Mm. NYU because I was from New York, and I just felt like I'd like to go to a smaller school where you could sort of touch cameras immediately. I was very so you sort knew. of... By the time you went to college, you were you knew this is what you wanted to do? Oh, I knew. Yeah, I knew. Before. I knew immediately. Really? I knew really early. And I was doing it so, like, intensely uh. and teaching myself and, like, getting it in my body. You know what I mean? Like, getting mm. it in your body. Like, I would operate my camera, and I'd edit it, and... I kind of just like built it into my brain in a way where it wasn't being taught to me, but I was like figuring it out as I went. Right. So it's kind of like a different yeah, knowledge. Like different kinda, way to learn. Like yeah. you learn the wrong way, but you just learn your way. You learn. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. It's almost like a, a cumulative process where there's an organic shape to what you're accumulating. Yeah. Like I remember like specific moments where I was like, oh, that's what that does. Right. I get it. So yeah. now I'll never for Oh, like that's why that didn't work. Okay. You know, kind of like learning because you're failing all the time. Right. That's how I found out about the clitoris. <laughs> yeah. Exactly the same process. <laughs> that was what I did. And, um, and then I went to college. Yeah. But I, but what I, but I, I was in high school making movies all the fucking time and doing really badly in classes and I went to a small school where no one was like me. Everyone ended up being an actuary, you know? And so 
I had a guidance counselor who was like, yeah, apply to these schools and whatever. You're great. Who cares? But you've made these things. You've been in film festivals. It'll be great. And I got into no colleges. I literally got into zero. I applied to like nine schools and got into no schools. Over the course of, what, six months, those things come yeah. in the mail? I mean, it was debilitating. It was yeah, that's rough. a horrible feeling. It was like, oh, you have no future. Oh, no one likes you. Oh, you're stupid. Right, All right. over and over and over. Yeah. My mother had to beg and plead for a school called RIT in Rochester, the Rochester Institute of Technology, Technology I know, yeah. to accept me as a career decision major, not a film major. I didn't have the scores. A career decision It's basically undecided. Major? It's an undecided major. <laughs> I was the most decided human being yeah, exactly. that I knew. And you get in And I had to go sit in a class where they were like, so what are your interests? And I was like, making movies. And they were like, and how do you want to go about that? I was like, I know I'm there. I'm doing it. Just <laughs> let me into the classes. Get out of the way. This is retarded. Yeah. So that was my first year. And then I got good grades finally. And I transferred to Emerson. So why didn't you get good grades in high school? Were you I had, too busy making movies? I don't think I gave a fuck. Mm. I don't think I cared. I got good grades in things like, in anything that was vaguely creative. I got good grades in right. his, American history and English, you know. Yeah. But I was an idiot with math. I was a dumbass with biology and science and geometry. And yeah. I just didn't care. And I was always doing extracurriculars. I had a magazine. I was yeah. on student council. I was like Parker Lewis. That's, you know what Parker Lewis yeah. is? Maybe some people that listen to this will know is, what Parker is Lewis in, uh, is. I, I have a box here? set right over there. <laughs> <laughs> At least I got Kumar right. That's the hard part. Right. Come on, I, yeah, maybe. Was that they did a, like some White Castle thing? Wasn't that? Was that them? This is humiliating. <laughs> For who? For me? me? For me? I'm out of the loop. Man. I'm I'm old and like, foreign. I don't know do I any come of this over shit. And humiliate you in front of twenty five thousand <laughs> weekly subscribers? <laughs> no, believe me, they they know I'm the idiot here. Everybody knows. <laughs> No, I mean, it's true. I'm, like, so out of the loop with American culture. Did I ever tell you about my first – when I was on Rogan's podcast the first time? Okay. So uh, I do this podcast with Duncan, right? And first time I'd ever met Duncan. And afterward, Duncan was like, oh, man, you, you got to meet my friend Joe. Joe's got a podcast. And I'm like, okay, everybody in L.A. has got a friend named Joe with a podcast. You know, like, whatever. I Sure. If he wants to – because at this point, I didn't even know what a podcast was, right? It's just like, you want to interview me? Okay, fine. You read the book. Great. I'll do it. Because um, I'm like, you know, I went through a period of media slutdom. For, I was doing, like, late-night trucker interviews from out of Omaha. You know, like, <laughs> I'd wake up at 4 in the morning in Barcelona so I could do some – interview with australian you know am radio or whatever it's, it's just like whatever anyone who wants to talk to me about the book i'll do it so i'm like okay you got a friend named joe fine i'll do so then you know whatever i i've never heard of joe rogan right i live in spain i don't know fear <laughs> factor i don't know i'm completely out of this shit i don't even have a tv none of this so i go to uh, eventually i find i i uh what happened i was talking to my friend voodoo i was in spain visiting i was talking to voodoo and and I said, yeah, I've been doing podcasts, so, you know, and like, that's cool. And, and Voodoo's like, oh, you, you ought to be on Joe Rogan's podcast. He'd, he'd love you. And I was like, how do you know Joe Rogan? Like, how do you know Duncan's <laughs> friend Joe? You know, this is in Barcelona. So then it's like, oh, he's famous. Oh, really? He's famous. So, oh, I'm an idiot, right? <laughs> so I go to the podcast and uh, so I, I go, I walk in there. I'm in the studio and I meet Joe and his tech guys and Red Band and all these guys. And... Uh, and I start telling Joe this story. And the whole point of the story is I'm an idiot, right? <laughs> but I get to the point where like, and I, I don't know who you are and, you know, blah, blah, blah. 
And he looks at me and he says, so you had to Google me, huh? And I, I was like, yeah, but, and then the technical guy says, okay, we've got to do a sound check. And, you know, Joe, you're, these are the sponsors. And I, So we get cut off at the point where it sort of seems like I'm dissing him in some way, you know, which was the opposite of my intention, you know. And then he rolls up a, a joint. And he's passing the joint around. The joint comes to me. And I don't really want to get high before a three-hour interview. Yeah. But if I don't hit that joint, I'm an idiot. I'm, I'm confirmed asshole, right? <laughs> so I hit the joint. And then I'm like more stoned than I've been in 30 <laughs> years. I'm like holding on to the chair and stuff, you know? The, the So anyway, it was like a disaster. And the whole point is... I didn't know who he was. For me, the takeaway of that story is that you do no preparation before you interview someone. That's right. That's why it's called Tangentially and Speaking. And yet you've written all these books. But I've been chasing you around for a fucking year. I mean, isn't That's that That's plenty of time to watch a 90-minute movie on the internet. I tried. I tried. I told you. No, I really it did. Is, it's so hard. It's so hard. You're right. It is. It's hard. No, I tried. And they, I couldn't because I was in Canada. I got this thing saying, you know, sorry, you're wherever fucking That's zone right. you're you did in. Try. You're you did blah, try. blah, blah. No, I did when it first came out. You did try. Um, and I even, I'm sure I retweeted it. You did? You were very See? supportive on the internet? See? I'm, I'm your biggest fan. <laughs> of, the Howard, of the Howard and Kumar <laughs> franchise. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, is it? That's not Aziz Ansari, is it? It's Cal Penn. Oh, they all look the same. Yeah, right? yeah that's yeah. racist. <laughs> is that racist? That seems it, racist. It is racist, but I always make that joke. I just had a, uh, you know, I said, for Tuka Silda, all white people look the same. Mm-hmm. You know, that's she mixes up people's names. So I'll say, oh, the white people all look the same to her. I think it's I think it's racist not to be able to make jokes like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I'm like, I resent prohibitions on saying certain things because it's racist. I don't think. I don't think sentences or comments are racist. I think people are racist. I think intention is racist. Yeah, exactly. Right? Right. That's what it is. So I'm not obviously trying, you know, my wife is black and, you know, I've got some of my best friends are black. Like how black? Like black as night? No. You know what? It's interesting. We thought, she thought she was full-blooded Indian, right? She was born and raised in Mozambique. But the story in the family is we're Indian. Our, Our ancestors came from Goa. Five, four or five generations ago, you know, whatever. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, we did a 23 and, and 20, what's it called? 23 and me uh, DNA test. I did one and she did one. Mine is came that, back. What is, that? what is 23 and me? It's a name of a company. It's an online thing. They send you a, a little kit. Oh, and you take your own blood? It's like, no, it's spit, uh, saliva. Oh, whoa. Yeah, so you, I want to do that. Oh, it's cool. And then what does it tell you? It tells you. It tells you a whole shitload of stuff. Hey, 23andMe, you should sponsor this podcast. Actually, they sort of are sponsoring it in the sense that they gave me a free one. So okay. 23andMe.com. But what does it tell you? It tells you like uh, what your lineage is or it, it tells, tells you, you what your, your brain it, chemistry does? No, it tells you uh, both. It tells you your lineage. It tells you like what sort of um, genetic propensities for different diseases you might have. Oh, no. It tells you if... Like you are one of these people who can smell uh, that your piss fear. changes. Smell fear? No, asparagus. Oh. You know how, do you ever eat asparagus yeah. and your piss smells weird? No, it smells better. It smells great. <laughs> all right. Well, it smells great. All right, taste Your piss smells weird? It smells different. I eat fucking asparagus. Yeah. My piss smells like aqua de Gio. What's aqua de Gio? You're, you're throwing out all these French aqua things. Aqua de Gio. It's just I'm a, a plebeian. Cologne. I'm a proletarian. A cologne. What's cologne? Cologne is like perfume for men. I don't wear it. 
All Jesus right? Christ. I, I don't wear it either. Good. I just know what it is. Aqua de do what? Aqua de Gio. Aqua What's de Gio. Uh, See, this is the difference between a lowly podcaster <laughs> and a world renowned. A very film, sophisticated film director. director of a stoner franchise. <laughs> Uh, anyway, what the fuck was I talking about? Oh, 23 and me. So it tells you like, yeah, your, your genetic, like if you've got a propensity for diabetes, if you like in mine, it said, uh, uh, not likely a sprinter. <laughs> and that's accurate. It's well, not like, likely a mover. Not, I mean, likely, not a likely a walker faster, <laughs> but Casilda's a sprinter, like likely sprinter. And so, so that's like about muscle twitch, twitch muscle or something. Right. Um, it's anyway, it tells you all this shit like and some of them are like you have to like click a waiver like, OK, I understand this could be really bad news. Like if you have the the gen, the the gene for um, breast cancer, mm-hmm. you know, which is like really increases your chances of, of having breast cancer in some cases. How accurate is this test? Very accurate. Very accurate. It tells you what spit. percentage of Neanderthal genes you have. Really? It's 2.8 for me. Is that out of 100? Or is that out of three? Two point eight percent. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know, I'm I'm a redhead, or at least used to be. Now people think I'm blonde now, but it's like you know the last vestiges of, of redhead and gray. Yeah, it's like five percent like redhead and the rest gray. That's blonde. Uh, but uh, that all comes with the genetic. Uh, apparently, the genes for what red, is the scariest thing from? that it could let you know? Like, what is the well, well that you, you like? You've got a, an elevated chance of different types of cancer, yeah. or you what's know, the best thing it tells you that you don't? <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyway, so we did. I did one. It's for, like a spit horoscope, right? <laughs> spit horoscope. It's like Susan Miller. It's like it's like uh, January fifth is a good month to make uh, an investment. Based on your kind of yeah, or maybe like a, a spit, uh, you know, fortune cookie or something. Yeah, <laughs> you know, fortune cookies were invented by a white guy in Oakland. I did know that. Yeah. Well, that make that means it's true. Yeah. If I pull true. that out of my ass and you confirm it, that's true. That's a, that's confirmed. that's journalism right there, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> that's it a secondary source confirmed by an independent source. <laughs> we now know. We can now report. <laughs> Polls are closing. <laughs> Yeah, and did you know that jazz and jizz come from the same root? I read your book. No, oh, you read the book. I whip uh, that out of parties sometimes. <laughs> Women, your jazz lie. or your jizz? <laughs> oh, Jesus! <laughs> I whip that out at parties. You're asking for it. <laughs> you say something like that, you get it's coming to you. Twenty three and Me dot com. They're great. They gave me a free test. Get one. They're they're like a hundred bucks. I think, or 125. It'd be great if we had known that we were going to talk about this a week ago so we could have read our scores to each other and compared and contrasted who was a healthier human being. Well, I'm, I'm superior. I'm, I'm definitely... Uh, homo superior? Yeah, almost, <laughs> homo arrogantus. <laughs> um, but anyway, the, the reason this whole thing came up, you're at, we're talking about racism and, you know, Casilda is, we thought she was all, she's 38% African. Interesting. Where did that happen? Right. So there's that's what can be weird. Like some, you know, like, oh, hey, I've got a close ancestor who's African, mom. Anything you'd like to tell me about that? So um, and actually her DNA line, they even tell you what part of Africa it comes from. From your fucking spit? Yeah. Her DNA line. Goes. I know Gattaca. That Gattaca. (laughs) Gattaca ruined my life. That movie is responsible for me not having a date with Uma Thurman. Why? Because, well, that's another story. That seems like we should definitely talk about it. We can get into that. 
but anyway, yeah, it. it uh, I'm not going to forget that this happened in five minutes. <laughs> Tangentially speaking, I'm going to nail you to this one. Uh, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying to think if I've ever told that story. Because why? Because podcast. you saw her in the movie and you were like, too attractive. I no. just can't do this to her. No, she's not really my type, actually. Sorry, Uma. Um, okay, here's the story. I, uh, apologies to... Sometimes I'll get like emails or tweets from people who are like, dude, love the podcast, but you told that story nine times now. You right. know, And I can't remember what I've told and haven't told. I need like a... I need like an assistant with a checklist, you know, <laughs> like someone tapping me on the shoulder and saying, no, the, you've told the Uma Thurman story. You have a wife, right? She's not an assistant. <laughs> I can tell you've never been married. Jesus. You you start mixing up. You, no, you, not you as confuse. an assistant, as someone that's going to tell you when you've gotten boring at a party. No, your wife is the person who doesn't tell you when you're boring at a party. That's why you love her. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I want a different kind of a wife. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, so here's the story. I've got this great friend, Stanley Krippner, who I've interviewed twice on the podcast or maybe three times now. I don't know. But he's he's very funny, interesting, crazy guy. He's a parapsychologist. Just turned 80 this year. And he's like, he knows everybody. Like he's, you know, he's taken LSD with Timothy Leary and he knew Alan Watts. These names mean anything to you? Young yes, I am aware of things. Alan Watts. Alan the Watts. journey is his destination. Oh, ain't it? Uh, <laughs> so the, uh, so Stanley came to Barcelona one time to visit. And I had mentioned to him how interested I was to see prehistoric cave paintings so Stanley being Stanley had his assistant write to the French government and he got us invitations to go to Lascaux, which is the Sistine Chapel of prehistoric art, right? It's just like the most amazing place, but you can only go there if you're invited by the French government. So you can't buy your way in. There are only five people a day that were allowed to go in. Now it's completely shut down because the breath condensation was messing with the chemistry mm-hmm. and this stuff's 20, 25,000 years old. These paintings of bison and, deer and stuff horses um anyway so we're driving up from barcelona to the central massif the massif central of um of france and i had just had this brief affair with this woman whose name i won't mention uh who was crazy just absolutely nuts right but in a really interesting strange way which i wish i could tell the story but i i this i gotta leave that part out but anyway so stanley's listening to this and stanley's gay or bisexual or something um but he and i shared a lot about our sexuality all the time and he says to me uh yeah you're i don't know why you're wasting time with these women you know i i know a woman you would like next time you come to california let me know and i'll I'll arrange for you to meet her. I said, who is she? She Oh, she's a daughter of very good friends of mine. I've known her parents for 50 years and and she's very beautiful. Now, okay, he's like, at that point, he's like a 70-year-old gay guy, right? So what's he know about beautiful women, right? They're all beautiful to him, or at least my taste in women Mm -hmm, and his taste mm -hmm. doesn't overlap that much. So I'm thinking, well, okay, maybe. But uh, And he he says, uh, said, who are her parents? Oh, her father... Um, teaches at Columbia. He's a good friend of the Dalai Lama. He teaches Buddhist studies at Columbia. And her mother was briefly married to Timothy Leary. Uh, she was a fashion, Swedish fashion model. And then she and Timothy were only, they were together for about a year and that didn't work out. And then she married this other guy. And 
like, wow, I'd love to meet her parents. You know, who cares about the woman? That is the woman's parents sound great. So we're driving along and it's, there's like some distant recognition, like wait, the Buddhist thing, the you know, Dalai Lama, Timothy Leary. I've heard about this somewhere. And finally I said, Stanley, you're not talking about Uma Thurman, are you? <laughs> and he said, he looks at me, he says, how did you know her name? <laughs> I said, well, she's famous. She's a movie star. Oh, I had no idea. <laughs> she was like, to him, it's just like the daughter of friends of his who went off to... Anyway, at that point, she had already made Gattaca, already met uh, Ethan Hawke, and was pregnant with the child. That's how the movie ruined my life. Because if she hadn't met him and wasn't pregnant, I, I probably would have gone out to dinner with Uma Thurman. Because <laughs> I got to think... People like, oh, that's how the movie ruined your life? Because she met you, you <laughs> fucking lunatic. That's the fucking story? That's the story. Am I the only one who's disappointed by this story? I hope, I hope not. <laughs> I'm oh disappointed by it. Uma's disappointed. <laughs> yeah. It was too late. If it had been a year earlier. Because, look, here's my theory. People like Uma Thurman, uh, they have trouble meeting guys. Yes. Because the guys they meet, I mean, I, I lived in this house full of fashion models for three years, and it's the same deal with them. Same, I was talking about a friend of mine who's very wealthy. Like, all these people have trouble meeting people because cool people don't approach them. Everyone's afraid of them. Well, they're afraid or they just don't want to bother them, right? You know? You, I mean, if you see uh, some TV star walking down the street, you're cool. You don't walk over and introduce yourself and ask them, hey, can I hang out with you? You know, you're like, you just walk by. You let them be normal. I met Peter Gabriel at TED. I... I, I tried to compliment him by saying how normal he seemed. I'm not sure it worked. Yeah, I'm not sure it had the intended effect. But like, I just treat nor- when I meet famous people, I sort of go out of my way not to yeah. treat them like they're famous. Um, anyway, the point is, I, at least it's my theory, is that people like that who are super beautiful, super wealthy, super famous, whatever, have trouble forming r- normal relationships. Well, yeah, for sure. Isn't there also something though? I mean, it's kind of like anyone, though, right? Like, even if you're not super famous or super rich or super beautiful, going on, like, a blind date regardless is kind of like a weird fortress of weirdness. You know, there's walls up. Anyways, it's only better. It's better to meet someone that you've already known for a while or to be set up by a third-party person. You both know there's a vetting process. Well, that's what this would have been. Like some famous person walking up to you on the street, and you're like, I'm going to go on a date with you, fucking stranger. Right. Yeah, of course. doesn't work. Regardless of if you're so attractive. Yeah, but see, that's why this would have been cool, because this would have been like an old friend of her parents who's a super interesting guy, right? He's this world-famous research psychologist. He's saying, I've got this student. Him. He's Go my best yeah. student ever. He's really cool, blah, blah, blah. So I'd be getting this great recommendation from him. Well, how about when they divorced? How come you didn't try to get him then? Uh, then, I, then I was already with someone. And anyway, Uma Thurman's not really my type. But here's the other thing. <laughs> he, uh, now, this is where he really messed what up. What is your type? 38% African? Salma Hayek. Yeah. <laughs> he was sitting next to Salma Hayek at dinner, and she asked him for dating advice. Yeah, and he told her, oh, I've got this great student. You'd love him. Oh, too bad he's married. He told that story to Cassie at Viet. Cassie was like, Stanley, Chris is not married for Selma Hayek. (laughs) (laughs) We'll share her. Come on. (laughs) Anyway, enough about me and Selma Hayek. No, let's keep talking about it. I like that movie Frida. I thought she was very attractive. I never saw that movie. Frida's so good. Did they do the unibrow in that movie? Yeah, man, but just like her whole vibe. She's feverish. She's firecracker. Yeah, Into it. She'd be pretty high maintenance, though, you got to think. I mean, for me, Salma Hayek's like a long weekend kind of relationship. (laughs) This is why she'll never meet a man, because of all these preconceived notions. Maybe she's very chill. 
a chill firecracker? No, in the movie, oh. Rita Kahlo. Well, but I think, I mean, you've seen her do interviews and stuff, right? Yeah, she's, she seems, she's pretty vivacious. She's vivacious. <laughs> <laughs> and besides, now she's married to a billionaire. It's so true. It's she's true. off You're the market. Fucked. Yeah, forget yeah. it. Forget it's not going to happen. You've written one book. So, <laughs> exactly. And your hair's white. And you had a stroke 25 it's minutes ago. <laughs> it's still blonde. Okay. And you're wearing Tevas. <laughs> I'm not wearing anything. Oh, oh, yeah. Are they Tevas? They're Keens. Oh, dear. Keens. Is that passe? I'm getting, I'm getting fashion critiques from a guy who's sitting under a giant asshole. It okay, holds I the wall. just want to say that. It holds the wall. That's what they all say. If, if that thing, like, if there's, if there's been Mexican food in the neighborhood upstairs, I mean, everybody walks in here and is like, why is there a gigantic asshole on your wall? And I don't understand how I didn't see that earlier. <laughs> so you bought that in a gallery or something? No, a friend. I was putting this house together and a friend just gave it to me. He made this. This dude lived across the street and I was like, that's fucking rad. It's hot pink. It's gigantic. It's free. It's like it's like lacquered <laughs> it's canvas free. or something. <laughs> All these, all these things this, are great. This is the the inner workings of an art collector. <laughs> it's not going to cost me anything, and you're going to hang it for me. <laughs> it's hot pink and it's free. I'll take it. I loved it. And then, literally, ninety eight percent of people walk in here and they're like, "What kind of weirdo would put a humongous, <laughs> a twelve foot asshole it on his wall?" It is a big piece of fart. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's a very big. Uh, fart. Man, it's an inspiration. All right. So okay. All right. So. You are you were born to make movies. Now, what I'm interested in, a guy who's born to make movies, and I think, I think I, you know, not to sound, uh, you know, arrogant or whatever, but I I kind of had a relationship with books like that. You know, I loved books. I yeah. I mean, not all books, of course, but when I felt an intimacy with some authors yeah. through their books that I never felt with a living human being. Yeah. Especially in those teen years where you weren't feeling, I wasn't feeling much intimacy with anybody except myself. Uh, but in any case, uh, did you do you remember seeing a film where you were like, "Boom, that's it. That's the film I would have made." No. That's there. I think there's two things at play with this. I feel like one of the things there's this Cassavetes quote. I had a, I've had to think about a lot of this recently because I was like interviewed for the movie and stuff. Yeah. And then like as I sort of put together my next movies, you have to sort of cultivate what kind of filmmaker you want to be by making sort of decisions, you know, and choices. Right. So you have to sort of like ruminate about this stuff sometimes. Yeah. I think one of the things for me in movies, there's this Cassavetes quote where he says that people sometimes use movies as, as a means to escape, right? That's the thing with movies. They go to escape their shitty lives, right. to forget, right. to see some explosions or aliens or whatever. But for him, he's like, I, what I go to see movies for, it, it reconnects me. It reminds right. me. I feel humanity and family yeah. reminds me what the point is because during the day I've gotten so bungled up with minutia or life is the distraction right or yeah. strategies and tactics or whatever is going on yeah. in my life or feelings and set i go to the movies to remind me right. right and it's very soothing and that's i didn't realize at the time but that was the way that i functioned with movies and also my brain is i have a pretty compulsive brain i've got a touch of the ocd just the way that my brain is able to sort of loop and eat itself when there's not a project in front of me you know mm. like if i don't have something to sort of like put through the meat grinder, right. I just grind myself. Right. And it's pretty destabilizing. And I think that there's something about sitting at a movie that's just like, it's calming. It yeah. just is like, it's like meditating. It's like you zen out for 90 minutes or two hours or something. And it does sort of recenter you in a way that something like meditation does. Your 
breathing. It's like being in an awake dream. And the other thing that I've noticed recently, especially with movies, is that, like, for instance, I don't, like, cry very frequently in life, you know, unless there's, like, some horrible trauma. And my father passed away a couple of years ago. But if I go to a movie, it somehow, like, gets underneath whatever the, you know, the concrete is, whatever the armor is, that isn't even being put there on purpose. I'm not, like, armoring up on purpose. But whatever is there on top of me that isn't allowing for those feelings to express themselves on the daily, going to a movie, five minutes into Star Trek, I'm crying. You know what I mean? Like, a father dies, a baby is born, like... And that's Star Trek. Like, there's something about sitting in a theater or even at home and, like, really being engaged with a movie that feels like it's healthy in, like, some emotional reality. That's, and I that's love a, those things. Excellent point. And it's a point that Stanley uh, made. I think on Rogan's I, – I, when I talked about Stanley on Rogan's podcast and, and Joe was like, hey, is there any way I can meet Stanley? So I, I went up and got Stanley in San Francisco and drove him down, and then the three of us did a podcast together. Um, and one of the things that Stanley mentioned in that podcast that I'd never heard him talk about before was that because prehistoric or, or until very recently, until a couple hundred year, hundred years or 200 years ago, there really was no modern medicine and almost everything was based on placebo effect, right? All the healing placebo effect is real. It's a strong response and it can have great effects, but it's limited, right? And one of its limitations is your capacity for belief. And Stanley's point was that until modern medicine, evolution favored people who had that capacity for belief, what's also known as hypnotic ability, mm -hmm. right? And magicians do like tests for the audience and see who's got more hypnotic ability. And those are the ones that they'll bring up on stage to do the hypnosis, st stage hypnosis and all that kind of thing. And so it's, that differs uh, among individuals. And evolution was favoring it for millions of years, and now suddenly it doesn't anymore. So now there's this sort of randomization genetically. But what you said that it feels very healthy, I think it is very healthy. Yeah. You know, there's a very strong – there are very strong psychological uh, correlates to focusing your mind, to being in a state of flow, you know? Yeah, that cuts – it almost cuts through any kind of intellectualization of your life, and it goes right to the heart. To the emotion, yeah. That to me – and not all movies do that, obviously. No. But, like, the ones that do <clears> – <throat> and even, like, shitty, like, shitty big studios, sometimes they – do that, you know? Yeah. And I feel like that's really good. I think there's also a flip side to that, though, is like like movies let you down sometimes. Like movies, you know, create these ridges in your brain of what romantic love is supposed to be like. And that fucks you up yeah. when you have bought into a thing that isn't true. or The romanticism of war. All of it. Like movies kind of, when you're young enough, if you're really kind of connected to them and using them as a way, or not even... Not even on purpose, but like they are kind of creating a worldview. You know, they're yeah. kind of creating your sense of the f a future to come or whatever. Well, and often, and sometimes they let you purpose. down. You know, yeah. like how do you deal with loss? Whatever you're dealing, yeah. like sometimes they make these things not so. Well, and also movies are are existing. You know, within a, an economic context. You know, they've got a appeal to the mass audience and right. there's so, all that shit. So there's a thing, yeah. you, got, you got to be, I mean, now, now obviously I know, you can't expect them to sort of like teach you how to function, but they certainly I think are really great ways to get you to access, you know, a softer side of yourself, a tender side. Yeah. They kind of hit you there. And I feel like that 
that's one of the things that TV doesn't totally do or doesn't do as frequently, maybe, to me. Like, I feel like I'm less emotionally engaged in television shows. Is that because of the size of the screen or the commercial interruptions? I think that it's because T. Maybe that's this might not be true. I feel like I feel like TV is where the format is king or something. Or there's a pace to story. You there's it's plot. You're watching plot. Even on something as wonderful as Breaking Bad, and I fucking love Breaking Bad the most, you're really watching plot. Do you know what I mean? Well, there's a lot of character development. There's a lot of character, but you're waiting to see What's what happens, happens yeah. next. Yeah, that's true. And if you watch something like, oh, what's a, I don't know, scenes from a marriage? I mean, what? Fucking, oh, Woody Allen, yeah. Fucking Annie Hall, whatever you're <laughs> yeah. watching. It's less plot. You, yeah. They can, they literally can, in a movie, you can have a bizarro tangent. The tree of life. Tree of life. On some TV shows, you obviously you can. But yeah. most shows seem to be just like, as story, 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 yeah. story, story, forcing the story. Movies do it too, but I somehow That's movies true. get me in my guts more. Well, and the, and there's a structural issue there because with movies, once you've bought the ticket, they know you're going to sit there, right. and so they don't have to pull you back for the next episode yeah. or, or pull you through a commercial break or whatever. Yeah. So maybe that's why plot is so. I think intrinsic. so. I think so, and, and there's like a lot of documentary on TV, you know, like every reality show and you know whatever fake history shows there's documentary on tv and again the format is king there you know like any show on bravo is just literally the format is king they just have a format and they can plug any shit into the format yeah and people are addicted to the format but something like a movie like stories we tell do you see that movie that sarah no. polly movie it's a documentary no. about her family it is it just breaks apart a construct that you've seen a million times it is so hyper sympathetic and compassionate and crazily emotional per I just don't see so much of that on this TV over. Right. But and that's but that stuff does it for me. Yeah. And that's what I'm finding myself more and more sort of compelled and attracted by. What do you think of Werner Herzog? Love Werner Herzog. I just saw uh, Encounters at the End of the World. Oh yeah, so great. The second time last night or the night before. Well, that's an amazing idea oh. for a movie, right? That's like the best stuff. And I feel like that's even applicable in my world where I'm trying to make sort of like, you know, hilarious comedies or like movies for people like big right. movies for people is that he took a he was like i'm just gonna go to what is it? it's like antarctica, antarctica right yeah. go to antarctica and do a documentary about antarctica. And you're like that'll be what wildlife and scenes and landscapes penguins but all he wants to do is talk about what the weirdos are that find themselves attracted to yeah. antarctica like who are the people that want to live there yeah and that's fascinating yeah you find some left-handed way into something familiar yeah and you still get the vistas, and you still get the penguins. Oh, amazing! And the undersea photography. But fuck, Holy man! Cow, it yeah. is such but it's a character. It's, it's, yeah. it's compassionate. Well, that, what I—I I mean, I've probably seen thirty Werner Herzog films. You know, ranging from the the classics, you know, Fitzcarraldo or whatever, to like the one you see the one I can't remember what it's called, but it's about like a guy who has some sort of helium balloon that he floats over the jungle. You know what I'm talking about? Oh. But anyway, the documentaries are what really get me because you know he gets there and starts filming and then he just follows his curiosity. Right. And it turns out that the guy, the Jamaican guy who drove the truck in with the camera equipment has this amazing story. And he he ends up taking up half the film talking to this Jamaican guy. Yeah. And it's incredible. Yeah. You know, I mean, the. The sort of uh, faith that you know you're going to just go there, not really knowing what the hell's going to happen, and you'll and come finding out of the it. But movie. I think that what's so interesting about him, it's and 
what's interesting about him to me is that you can really in their documentaries there's not like a hyper stylization whatever but you can always kind of feel like that it's him making the movies just because of you can feel the curiosity and you can feel the um life in there right they're all very alive and sloppy and weird yeah but you also feel like an incredibly compassionate point of view like he loves these people he's curious about them even if they're doing a bad job he knows that that must be very difficult for them yeah for me that that's kind of my point of view also i sort of feel like that as a human being like there are these mercenary comedies you know something like hangover too you know to me feels like a pretty mercenary comedy the joke is on them Mm. You're taking pleasure in watching people fall apart. Right. But that's what you're taking pleasure in, you know, how fucking sh- fucked everyone is right. going to be. And that is kind of a little bit too hardcore for me. It's mm. a little hardcore for me, you know. The things I make are pretty, you know, aggressive, but I feel like there's a sweetness to that. Like, I, I, I more prefer the comedies when the joke is on them, when they're kind of the idiots in a horrible situation, planes, trains, or... Uh, what's another good example of a thing? I like um, <laughs> I like Joe versus the volcano, mm-hmm. and I like Tom things Hanks, like Moonstruck. Right? You know, yeah. I kind of like when um, I like when there's like a sweetness to these things a little bit. It's a more compassionate point of view. Right. Everyone's just trying to do their best. There's no one's in a real asshole. I don't know. You think people are assholes. <laughs> I'm a little more open to it. Like, I really yeah. love walking around New York City. I love hearing, like, 18 Dominican kids just cracking up. I love hearing a marital spat on the street. Uh, I love hearing some kind of, uh, you know, two guy, a cabbie fighting with a biker. It feels very alive to me. It's, yeah. I just like feeling the people around me. That's part of why L.A. is difficult. Have you done any documentaries? Um, I haven't done any real documentaries. I did... Um, what did I do that was like documentary? I used to do. I did this show in Asia. Actually, I was. I lived in Thailand for oh, nine months. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And it was sort of a like. It was kind of like Jackassy kind of a thing, but like a sketch comedy Jackass, and there were right. sketches and things. But I mean, and it was not like a fucking. It was not like oh, into the abyss or some Herzog movie. But it was the same. Um, it was the same concept of you would go out into the world with a vague idea, and you'd have real people, and you would engage with them, and you'd try to see where they were going and then take where they were going and turn it into a shape so you could make a little story out of it. There was a merging of, you know, some narrative concept in your brain and whatever the sloppy reality of these people was with the intention to make it funny and silly, you know? And so I did a lot of that. I've I've made things. I made a thing called Free Beats, which you could see on. I've seen a bunch of. I mean, the thing is, I, I'm not completely unprepared. When <laughs> when we first met, I I went online and watched a whole bunch of your stuff, and it was hilarious. There were you, on your website. There was like, I remember because this is like a year ago. Yeah, it was a little but while I remember ago. there were like, I don't know, there were maybe ten uh, shorts yeah, of like three stuff, four yeah. minutes each. Yeah, that you done some of the you done something with. The, did you do something with John Stewart or or uh, Colbert? There was a Colbert. Colbert, thing. yeah, like backstage with yeah, Colbert. Yeah, like Colbert stuff. That is really fun for me. Is sort of like get in there and sort of take whatever is messy and sloppy in real life and turn it into something that is pretty polished and got some shape in it. But you can still feel the. Yeah, I mean, it's almost know, the like the, the, the Saturday Night Live shorts kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, there's some like stuff. MTV vibe in some of them. Yeah, a little bit of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Free yeah. Beats was a cool one, just in terms of like what you're talking. About, I was trying to capture any kind of like vitality. Yeah, was and it didn't. It shouldn't have been this way. It just kind of happened. A soda company hired me and a guy who does freestyle beatboxing. Uh-huh. This was money. I just needed money. 
So I did this job for some money. And they were like, well, fly money. to New York to Union Square, and you'll shoot a thing, and you'll cut. And I was like, great, that'll be money. I'll just take that money. Thank you for the money. And what it was was Obama had just been elected president. It was the night after the um, results came in. Hmm. New York City, it was a guy who was going to sit there and freestyle beatbox on the street, and real people were going to try to get some real people to show up and sing along with him. Or he was going to beatbox along with whatever people wanted us, whatever they wanted to do, and he would sort of put together a like beat. Street karaoke. Basically. And we were worried we wouldn't get people or what was going to happen. But that day, that vibe, yeah. that feeling, uh, you forget. I mean, no yeah. one's ever felt more proud of themselves ever. Yeah. It was and a fucking party. It was a fuck, but it was a party of like, especially in the city, connectedness, hugging. Yeah. We did it. Congratulations to us. Good job yeah. for us. We Let's talk about how great we're feeling. It yeah. was so nice. And a thousand people showed up and they just wanted to sing. They sang about him. They sang about whatever. They sang about themselves, little babies, old couples, Orthodox Jews. It was so fucking nice. Mm. It felt so good. And the kid beep. And then the whole thing, I'd sort of, I cut the whole thing together and with the intention to try to capture whatever that vibe was on the day, which is different than what you're talking about. But that was sort of not a really. That was sort not of a really. documentary. You're, you're, <laughs> it was sort yeah. of a little documentary. You're capturing a moment in time. <laughs> yeah. Sort of a documentary. Where can people see that? You can, they can see it on ulteriorproductions.com. Oh, no, they fucking can't. They can see it on toddstraussholson.com. toddstraussholson.com. That's with a whole shitload of S's. It's the whole thing. We'll do links to it. Okay, we'll do links to it. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I'll get my assistant to yeah, throw, yeah, have your throw assistant the links. <laughs> or my wife, one, one or the other. All right, we're going to take a break, and what we're going to do is we're going to watch your onion thing, which you just did recently. Not the onion thing. No, we're not going to watch that? Do that again. Rewind that. You're going to watch Valibation, which is my the last short that I made. Oh, okay. Which is about like cell phone addiction and sort of sexuality. Ah, because the Onion thing was the one I tried to watch and couldn't watch in Canada. Onion thing you tried to watch, couldn't watch in Canada, that thing is no longer on the internet. Oh, come on. <laughs> I have it on a hard drive. Don't watch that. That's a half an hour long. Why do they Why do they take it down? It's a whole fucking situation. Oh, it's like a legal thing? I don't know. It was uh, like a thing. Who a cares? thing. Who a cares? Thing. Who cares? Okay. All right. Well, this you, thing is better, anyways. No, yeah. is. no, you mentioned you went to New York to do the yeah. to do that. Yeah. Um, okay. So, what's this called that we're going to watch? Um, if you want to, this is a thing called Valibation. Valibation. In, in between, I make these movies. I write these movies. I try to get movies made, and in between them, in order to stay nimble, I make short films and I write them and direct them myself. So your meat grinder doesn't turn on itself. Kind of. It's like Steven Soderbergh in the early nineties was allowed to make a feature film once a year to experiment. That is not easy anymore in yeah. Hollywood. So I just make these shorts every year to sort of build the same kind of muscles. Right. So this is a thing I made called Validation, which uh, I finished maybe five, four or five months ago. Uh-huh. I'm about to make a new one. So this is the last one I made. And where can people see this? They can see this one on ulteriorproductions.com. Ulterior with a U. With a U. Ulterior. Productions.com. All right. Now, here's what I'm recommending. If you're in a place where you can do this, you stop, watch it. We're going to stop, watch it. And then we'll all meet right back here in a few minutes. I'll be here sucking on my binky. See you then. All right. We're back. I hope you uh, you went and watched uh, the film, uh, which was... What's the name again? I keep forgetting. It's called Valibation. Valibation. Because you're, he's being validated by the the technology. Yeah, the, each thing's a moment. Uh, what was the line? The, the you know, we look at our technology yeah, we see for from validation. Without what we can't, um, we can no longer provide from, from inside within, yeah, or comes yeah. from within. Yeah, you know, it's that that. Uh, w- once we started watching it, I realized I had seen it uh, before, and uh, 
but it's it struck me again how how uh, how deeply that resonates you know and part of it is just the the march of technology but also in my own life you know i was a resistor to cell phones i never got a cell phone until a friend of mine who worked at a cell phone company gave me one mm-hmm. you know it's like the heroin dealer giving <laughs> you your first hit and uh i hated them i you know i you i don't know if this even happened uh in the states but in spain i remember like the first ones were worn in holsters right. you know and it was all these like asshole salesmen who had them <laughs> I just hated them, and I've I've been resistant to Twitter. I've been resistant to everything, but I've been dragged, kicking, and screening into it. Now here I am. I got a podcast. I got ten thousand Twitter followers. You know, I check it every and fucking fifteen and seconds. Now it matters. Well, that's the problem. I yeah. don't care, and it doesn't matter. But it takes up a lot of my life. So you you know, it's sort of like I mean, I do care in the sense that it's a nice way for like people who listen to this podcast to to give me feedback and and you know it makes them more real and I guess it makes me more real to them which is nice you know to have that sort of personal connection even though it's essentially impersonal in some ways and it's interesting like you know you do a search on sex at dawn or something and you can see what people are tweeting mm-hmm. to each other about your yeah. book you know that's all really good. yeah it's good stuff well it, as long as what they're tweeting is positive which it generally is but still it's like that kind of relationship with your audience didn't exist until just very recently a lot of this stuff didn't exist even this thing this thing was finished in maybe january or february this is a bit old but this predates it predates tinder <laughs> what the hell's tinder what the hell is tinder oh, christopher geez. ryan come I, on i don't man. claim to you be up to date people should know what tinder is well tinder is this little like stuff you can make from bark that'll yes. help you light I'll your fire you in the this wilderness is tinder. Tinder when you're is this app. dying it's you know grinder Grinder is yeah the meeting app for gay guys. Okay, it's yeah. basically the heterosexual grinder. Yeah, I mean I propose that, but it's not. Uh, but it's not like for hookups. Ago. It's more just like the most passive aggressive dating site of all time. It's like hot or not. You don't know what that is. Oh yeah, where you rate people. It's this. It's like is that girl hot or not? She's ten miles away from here. If she's not hot, is she eating that milkshake right no, now? Not hot. No. How about is that girl hot? They're yes. all hot. And then if you swipe to yes, I think she's hot, and she has done the same thing to you. Yeah. Only then are you allowed to talk. That this thing is crazy. Yeah. This short is from before this. Right. The march of technology is exponential and out of control. So how's it? How, how's but it? I, but but but, but yeah. I think that. But that's not news, right? There's nothing news. There's no news about people who are addicted to their cell phones and dating sites and whatever. It's, that's not news. What's news though is that, like, I was walking down the street in the city. I do this myself, but I was walking down the street in the city, you know, four weeks ago, whatever. There was a guy on a smoke break at a bar on a Saturday night, just compulsively. Just like, boom, like, 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 like a fucking robot. Like yeah. just compulsively, not even looking at the pictures, like, like, right. like, like desperately searching, needing to get a match or something, not even thinking in a real physical compulsion. And the question is, is what's the emotional trigger there to me? I mean, I get that maybe you're just like horny. You're horny and you want to fuck a girl. Like there's yeah, that, but, but there's that's more. That's different from validation. There's more. There is an emotional yeah. trigger there. Yeah. There's a something weirdly desperate about needing to know that someone is there giving yourself back to you. That someone thinks yeah. that you're also interesting, attractive. That I'll tell you some, what it is. What is it? It's the it's the need for community. Yeah. And as just like so many other things, as technology technology we live in a society that takes away the real thing 
and then sells us a cheap copy of it. Whether we're talking about clean air or water, you know, bottled water. When I was a kid, bottled there was no bottled water. That that's as absurd. 40 years ago as bottled air sounds right now, you <laughs> yeah. know, but it, they'll just pollute the shit out of it. And probably in China, there's already bottled yeah. air. I, mean, I don't know. Rich people probably have, you know, big tanks, you know, that come into their houses. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's the recurring pattern I see in, in what I'm writing about now in right. Civilized to Death is this idea that the society just takes away whatever is free and then sells you some cheap ass copy. And in this case, you know, more people live alone right now in the United States than ever before as a percentage of population, and it's growing rapidly. But they've all got their cell phones, and they've all got Skype, and they've all got Tinder, and they've all, you know. Right. So it's like, okay, we'll take away a real community, but we'll sell you the illusion of community. Right. There's still a desperate hunger for that sort more of More than ever, because you're not getting, as you say in the film, because it's not coming from within. Yeah. So you're constantly trying to fill this hole in your but heart. you're also but everything is like weirdly like dulled and then made so intense at the same time like there was some article floating around a couple of weeks ago that you could never break up with anyone anymore you can never break up with someone and then have them out of your lives anymore because right. they could follow you on twitter because they're whatever. there and you see yeah. their pictures or you have a bunch of friends like they're right. always kinds of just there in right. a way that that didn't exist ever before you'd break up with someone and then you wouldn't see them for a decade yeah. or ever again it just wouldn't happen until facebook was invented yeah Right. Yeah. So you're never really alone, but you also never let go of people, and you're desperately wanting to know that you exist or whatever. I mean, the way that you tweet and then immediately start checking the retweets, I mean, that's more than just looking for a community. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, it's looking for approval. It's looking for approval. I mean, comedians, whatever. you know, I mean, that's everyone does yeah. it, but I mean, yeah. you know, everyone. Instagram, you post something and then you're just, you're with two friends, and you're like, let's take a picture and. There is so it's really fucking weird, but it's more to me. It seems more emotional, yeah, than you know, physical in a weird way. Yeah, no, more I emotional really and intellectual, I should say. Yeah, it's yeah. not like I just want to see if they like the picture. You know, it's not like there is something it's, wounded yeah. about us that we need constantly to be to have the narrative we're putting out there reflected back on. Well, that's us. what I mean. That's community, yeah. right? Community is being with. People who you know you can count on and who can count on you, right? And so we don't have that because we're, you know, I mean, you and I both were like on the other side of the continent yeah. a, a week ago, you yeah. know, and I, I'll, in two days, I'll be in Canada. It's like, there, it seems like there's very little opportunity to have that sort of community in a real life way. So we, and yet we there buy is these this, copies. And yet, even when you are in a situation where there is community, you're still on your fucking phone looking for other communities. You know, yeah, I go although, to spend time with my family, you know, yeah. a very tight, loving, warm environment. Right. I'm on that fucking thing doing bullshit all the time. But don't they hate that? Yes. So but it's, they're also so doing it. They're also oh, they're doing also it. doing it. But oh. yeah, they, everyone hates it. But you're just sort of doing it. You're yeah. you know, a party and you're doing yeah. it. Yeah. No, I don't do that. I mean, I if I'm like, you know, out with someone and they're like on their phone constantly like fuck it I, fuck it i mean there's on, the dopamine thing that's a real yeah. thing you know that thing yeah yeah I mean, dopamine rush and the serotonin yeah all these brings but i feel it i can literally like i have to actually put the phone in the car when i go somewhere if i yeah. want to not be able to go after it yeah which is good it's a new habit of sort of indulging it. i'm just leaving it away from me for a while yeah 
but you really do feel like you have that phantom limb syndrome. You still feel phantom vibrations, and you're very curious, yeah. and <laughs> it's weird. fucking weird. It, like, reprograms <laughs> your body. Well, you know, people are always talking about the singularity. Yeah. You know, and this film is is, lar- is about yeah. this merging of human and uh, animal and machine and stuff. But it's it's so interesting how... You know, we're talking about the singularity. When's it, when are, when's the singularity going to come? It's already come. Yeah. It's already come. I mean, you know, you know this thing about grinders, not the, uh, not the other. Uh, so this, so the, this grinding thing is fucking really bananas. It's a very small, weird subculture of like tattoo artists and mechanics and sort of like rural America that are doing this. They're doing that. They're putting magnets under their skin, so they have a fourth sense. You know, so they can sort of feel what metals around. They can have a nervous reaction to actually feel closing their eyes and feeling when they're around things. People are plugging things into their bodies. They're trying to, they're trying to merge themselves with robots. No doctor will do this for them. So they're either like doing it themselves with like weird internet tutorials, or they're going to tattoo shops where like they do piercings Piercing, and they can. Yeah. That's the new doctors. So, and there's videos of guys doing it and. There are, it's like a weird hobby of like human beings trying to use their bodies like a battery and see what they can hook up to the fucking bat- battery. Right. And it's disgusting. I mean, it's very Cronenbergian. Yeah. You know, and it's a lot of pain. The pain is part of the process, but that's kind of some of the turn on of it. And we see it happening. Now, I just interviewed a guy who's a life hacker. Mm-hmm. Right, or biohacker, or whatever. And you're treating, he, he was a, a computer hacker, and now he's like looking at different ways to manipulate the body and change the diet and the sleep and the blah, blah, blah. blah. And, you know, it's interesting how we relate to the body in terms of whatever the, the pre- predominant metaphor of the age is. You know, these days it's like, you know, the brain is a computer, mm-hmm. right? But my point was that it's done. We're already merged with machines. You know, my father My father has some dead guy's liver in his body, mm-hmm. right? My wife has a cornea implant. She's got lenses, like, in her eyes, like glass lenses, right? So she didn't have to wear contact lenses. Yeah. You know, people have uh, pacemakers and artificial hips and knees and, like... <sighs> Don't wait for the singularity, <laughs> you know, look back on it. Seriously. It, yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, what you're talking about, the phone, I mean, Google Glasses. I mean, that's, you know, they, they premiered those things at TED when I was there. And everybody's walking around with Google Glasses on and shit. It's like, you know, that's so close to merger. That's like so close to having that technology in the body. I know. You know? It's fucking crazy. Yeah. Some of it I feel like is good, obviously, like liver transplants. And those are nice things. To me, it's like... The emotional ramifications of it are are weird. I just sort of yeah. see it in my own. I see it in my own every day, and I'm like, that yeah. is not good. Well, the 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 eroding the erosion of attention span is is amazing. I, I can't imagine what it's like to even to be your age, but much less like some yeah. 15 year old. Yeah, now. I can't. And their brain functions in a way that is completely different completely from my different. brain. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I want to say not better or worse, but I do feel there's some inherent value in being able to focus your mind long enough to read a book, you know, or watch a film. I mean, people who are checking their fucking emails in cinemas, what what is up, you know? I don't know. I mean, I also kind of do it. It takes a really, it takes a really um, compelling story to keep me off my fucking phone. Even in a cinema. And Even in a cinema, a in a cinema I'm not rude. Is... I'm not rude in a cinema. Like I'll just do it for like. But you're social tempted. You, you want to? I, me too. Oh, I'm me fucking too. tempted. And yeah. if I'm alone in there and yeah. it's a fucking dull movie and I've put 45 minutes into it and I don't care anymore, yeah. I'll get on my phone and I'll start figuring things out. It's amazing it's how terrible we adapt. Yeah, 
I mean, adapt in a bad way. I mean, I I watch football, soccer, right, a lot. Uh, you know, and you or you'll see on on TV like there's some great score or whatever, and they'll show the replay immediately. I hate seeing soccer live because there are no replays. Right, it's real life. Real life <laughs> yeah. sucks, man. You know, it's like you pay all this money to go to a stadium. It's like, where's the replay? Come no. on, I missed it. What was this thing I read? It's like you're constantly you're constantly chasing passing moment or something like yeah. you're constantly trying to capture this transitory thing that's your trick the picture gotta post the picture oh, it's over it's over it's over yeah gotta replay this happened it's over it's over i gotta write this thing i gotta write a blog i gotta do a tweet about this thing i just had you're constantly chasing a thing that just happened and so there's nothing anymore there's a super beautiful song uh colin hay waiting for my real life to begin uh, great, very it, different angle on that, you know, but it's the same thing. Or who is it, John Lennon, who said, uh, life's what happens when you're busy with something else? You know, it's like, yeah, that's the whole Buddhist thing, though. Like, you know, be here now. That's that thing. Be here now, man. I've been meditating. I have this new habit where I start meditating. Like, I have to sort of like, I have to like life hack ways to chill the fuck out into my existence right. now. So right. you leave the phone behind, you meditate twice a day, you go to the gym, like all these things things where you have to like actually have some self-discipline to keep you from doing what is instinctual even though it's not instinctual like what is the survival mechanism to like wanting to constantly be on your phone all the time but it, that your body just sort yeah, of like it, it hijacks went, went right to that yeah yeah i think it's social approval i mean we are right. hurt i think it's, more that's what it is yeah, yeah we're hurt more by rejection of a group like if you hang out with a group of guys and they say hey you know what todd we don't really want you to hang out anymore That'll hurt you more than if one of those guys dies. That's true. You know? And there's a reason for that. It, it, because expulsion from the group meant death yeah. in prehistory. We were so interdependent that we're, we're keyed to the approval of people. And the more approval we get, the safer we feel. And so even if it's people we don't know. I mean, I was thinking about this, you know, in terms of community. It's like, oh, great. 10,000 Twitter followers. How many of those people are going to, like, help me if I get sick? None of them. You know, none of them. They don't know me. And it's not that they're bad but people. But that's also just... not true. I mean, there's no, it's, not, it's not as black and white as that. I mean, yeah. you hear all these stories. I'm like going to crowdsource my cancer. Right. Seriously. <laughs> you exactly. crowd, or someone's house You're gets right. destroyed. You're right. You're right. That is the good part part of that yeah i just met a dude this is a weird thing that apparently happens now is you become like like last week there's a dude that i don't know i never met him i don't know anything about him but i know that he seems cool like he's like a writer whatever and like gets on the internet and like sees my shorts or knows that i'm friends with those people or i made a movie whatever and like sort of cultivates an interesting group of internet friends some of which he's met some of which he's never met and there was no email of like, hey, dude, love your shit. It's just like, I'm going to start following you on the media, on your Instagram and your Twitter and the Facebook. And then I'm going to like some stuff sometimes. I'm going to follow you. Maybe I'll retweet you. And that's that's the relate. There's no relationship. I don't know you from shit. But I see that you're doing that for me. I guess I'll follow you now. It's the most pa- – there's nothing uh, – there's no human there. There's just like, I like that. I like that you thought that. I like that. That's all it is. And then we met on set. And I was like, oh, who the fuck are you? You're like a thing on my computer. Right. And he was like, yeah, you're a thing on my computer, too. I thought your shit was cool. I was like, yeah, you seem pretty funny. And then you become friends. Which it's is just- kind of like the blind date thing we were talking about, where it, there's, no indiv- there's no person in between you, but you know you've got shared interests already. Right. It's so fucking whack. It seemed unhealthy, but ultimately, what is actually unhealthy about that? Yeah. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you're crushing on someone for multiple months before you actually meet them face to face. It's actually kind of nice. It's just yeah. fucking bizarre that they're not even a body. They're not even a head. <laughs> they're not. They're just a thumbs up on my fucking Facebook. <laughs> or a red dot. Not on Not even Instagram. a whole hand. They're it's not just even the eyeballs. They're just a thumb. Oh fuck, man. <laughs> so, so are you? You're a young whippersnapper. <laughs> You thirty three year old? Is that what you said you were? Thirty three. Thirty three. Yeah. So where's all this going? Is this? I mean, where the fuck is this going? What are you talking about? I mean, this technology. Everything seems to be going faster. Oh, I was talking and about faster. my career. I was like, why are we talking about? That? <laughs> well, I mean, your career is very, very much enmeshed with this stuff, right? Uh, but I mean. Uh, yeah, I, I just can't figure out where the hell it's going. I, I don't know. I, I was commissioned to write a piece about the future of sexuality for a German magazine a while mm-hmm. ago. And I had to write I had to write a bifurcated essay. I had to say, like, okay, you asked me where it's going. I, well, if the world doesn't, like, go off the cliff, which I think it, it's about to, it'll go this way. If it does go off the cliff, it'll go this way, you know? But I kind of I, – I feel like it's like – coming down the river and there's an island in the middle of the river and you're coming down fast in your canoe and you can't really maneuver and you don't know you know one way there's a waterfall on this way the other way you might get through i mean is that just me i mean aren't there guys that know what's going to happen in 15 years because they're building the technology that's going to happen well yeah but if the economy collapses then their technology doesn't matter i mean you know elon musk whatever it's like hey if if there's no capital farming and fucking living on mars and of Elon Musk? intelligence. No, I'm just saying. Like, oh, yeah. Gonna... Yeah, I don't know. But, the, you know, they, who knows which of those are actually happen. I saw a thing recently, Popular Science Magazine, what the world's going to be like in 50 years. I love that thing. And it gives you, like, a, every 15 years what's going to happen, like, the new things that are going to Yeah, but happen. I was looking at the one that was predicting what now would be like. How accurate 50 years ago. Not very accurate. <laughs> Not very accurate no. at all. And there was another thing, you know, it was all like, of course, it's all like, oh, we're going to have so much leisure time because technology will do everything for us. Well, technology is doing a lot, and we got the microwaves and the you know ice makers and all, all this my shit. time on the internet. It's yeah, exactly because the There's you know no more, technology the it turned into its own leisure. It takes away your leisure time. Yeah, computers don't save me it time. Take they it take away, it just replaces time. it. It becomes leisure. Yeah, it's relaxing to sit on the internet and just dick around for. But a while. it's really bad for your body. It's bad for your body, and it's bad for your brain. Your eyes, it makes your brain it makes you racy. Yeah. It's racy. Yeah. I wish there was some sort of a program that could be recording what's happening on my screen. There probably is, right? That could be recording what's happening on the screen. So I could like look in an hour and see how many times I refreshed Huffington Post. I feel like it's probably over 200 times. It's Or like went to Reddit or something. I'm so over Huffington Post. Me too. Or I wish there was like something that would like track when I get into like a YouTube or like Google K-hole where like I find an article and then I link to them and then yeah. I kind of go to – and I ping pong of that interview, and then they go to that Abbott and Costello. Yeah, the NSA can give you that information. Yeah, I wish. Yeah, thank God for Snowden. Just give me <laughs> those things. I'm curious to see. I love that there was like a pie graph of like how I fell into some K hole about garbage, <laughs> and just so I could like watch what the rabbit hole looked like because it took six Your hours, and I hole. thought that it took twenty minutes. And yeah. now my day is gone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I hear you, man. All right, so so I'll ask again. Where's all this going? Oh, your career this time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I realize now, having just watched Valibation with you again, that everything I said about a compassionate outlook on human beings and, <laughs> yeah, that was and, a bunch and of sweetness bullshit, and softness it? wasn't quite in that. I think I'm at a pivot point in my life. I've had an annihilating life event, and then I think it softened me up a little bit. I mean, I'm working on 
movies. I think I have something coming together in December. Mm-hmm. By the way, that thing about crying in movies, yeah. it gets worse as you get older. Good. Yeah, my like, dad would cry all the time at TV shows and yeah. stuff. Well, I find I just turned 50. I'm like 51 or something. Um, and I think it has something to do with lower testosterone levels because I feel so much more emotionally. What if it, what if it has to do with regret? Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't really feel like much long regret. View, like a long view on your life or something. You know, I, I do think there's some increased sense of uh, compassion. And you were saying earlier, you know, like everybody's trying. People aren't really assholes. And I, I fundamentally agree with that. I mean, I think there are psychopaths. You yes, know. there are psychopaths. But aside from there them, broken brain. most of the people who fuck up have been fucked over a lot and they're just trying and they got too much on their plates and it's survival. Everyone is, my feeling, I mean, I might just be ignorant. I just feel like everyone is genuinely pretty good and kind hearted. And then when survival gets introduced into the equation, they just do whatever they got to do. Well, but you know, what's interesting about that. I just read a a fascinating book called uh, paradise built in hell. Rebecca Solnit, I think was the author. And the the book is about how people behave in a disasters. So whether it's the San Francisco fire or earthquakes or the tsunamis and floods and, you know, like shit that nobody sees coming and suddenly, oh, holy fuck. And the way everybody around the world behaves is they take care of each other. Right. Strangers. They, they help post strangers. Obama. Right. Post-Obama, post-9-11. It's it's Katrina. Post- it's supposed to death in a family. It's even on like a yeah. micro scale. Someone yeah. dies in a family. Right. Everyone's good. Everyone's open. It's yeah. nicer. That's and the you know, fundamental way. It, because and that, then suddenly you're like not happy in a relationship, so you cheat, or right. like someone was a dick to you, so you fucked them, and like then it's a mess. Yeah. Survival. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it depends what we mean by survival. I mean, I guess what I'm saying is that like when everything's stripped away and you're down to basic bare bones reality like what are you going to eat or are you going to make it through the next day or you know people help help each other yeah i think so yeah and that's a beautiful thing and that's nice the thing about your book that i liked the most was this idea of like yeah sex and sexual mores and whatever the thing but the love is real Right. And community is real. Right. And that stuff is real. It's just sort of the rules and rituals that we've cultivated to sustain that love is maybe not the greatest thing in the world. Right. But that is so real. That was such a hopeful, good thing. I feel that. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to write about now. I'm trying to really, like, bring that part of the book out or that part of the, you know, whatever, my worldview or whatever, you know, and and really explore the way the modern world is, is sort of discouraging the best parts of us as a species, you know? Um, but it's tough because I'm trying to write a book that's fun to read, but fundamentally really depressing. How does the world, what do you, what does that mean exactly? How the world is stripping that away from us? Uh, well, sort of like what I was saying earlier, how, you know, I, I guess I, my, my fundamental belief is that we live in a severely pathological society. What we call civilization is pathological. It's sick. It's destroying the planet. It's destroying other people. It's destroying animals. It's completely um, blinding us to the reality of of life. Of, of And what's strange about it and how it relates to this conversation is that there's something incredibly nourishing about disaster. 
because you form those connections with people, right? Mm-hmm. So nobody, nobody's hoping to ha- that there's going to be an earthquake or, or that someone's going to die or, you know, whatever. But when those things happen, there's something about the inescapable reality of it that nourishes our souls and, and makes us feel alive, deeply alive in a way that our constant distractions don't. Right. Yes. And so like you, you interview, there's a guy, Sebastian Junger, you know, he is, he wrote the perfect storm. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he was embedded with um, a platoon of Marines in the Korngal Valley in Afghanistan for six months, I think off and on. And so he got to know these guys really well. And I uh, wrote a book called war. And there was also a documentary that they made. And these guys are like in firefights every day, right? They were in this like tip of the spear thing in this valley. They were getting attacked all the time. Anyway, the interviewer said to him, you know, these guys know nothing about geopolitics. They know nothing about oil pipelines or, you know, whatever. They have no idea why they're even in Afghanistan. Why do they fight? You know, why do they go through this incredible hardship? And he said, love. They do it because they love each other. And they, they're they there to just protect their brothers and they're trying to get through it together and it's it's love i mean that is so beautiful on one level but it's so horrible on another that we've taken this beautiful the most beautiful humane aspect of our species and somehow it's been twisted into a a lever that you can get these guys to go and just kill villagers whether it's in Vietnam or Afghanistan or wherever it is, for for a reason they don't even come close to understanding and don't even ask about. Yeah, that is pretty bleak and very grim. But there's also <laughs> things like football, <laughs> which is pretty bleak and grim too, man. But the it's the same thing. It's some other damage. kind of a weird community of guys, you know, going bananas, and they love, you know, yeah. I mean, you can sort of graph that sort of equation onto so many different things. Yeah. But, yeah, and there's love. Any team is about love. And there's know? love. I think the other. I think there's something just based on sort of what I do or, or the way that I kind of function is also there's this thing of a little bit of humor, right? Like love is mixed with humor. Like, like for me, the, the micro of that, of like feeling people coming together and, you know, facing a disaster, you know, head on and how you handle that was my father was sick and he passed away. And, but there was a lot of time in a hospital sort of sitting with him and, you know, weeks, months, sometimes, we're just in there, and like that, and people hate hospitals. No one wants to go to fucking hospital. People don't go to the doctor because they're afraid. Like yeah. I do not feel. I love going to a hospital. I love doctors. I love nurses. I find hospitals to be like going to a, a, a church in a weird way. Like hospitals are the opposite of a mall. I you have to with deal you. with the idea that death is real. Yeah. These nurses are hilarious. The doctors have a sense of humor. The patients, you know. They you, that, there's laughter in there because the only way to deal with something so fucking real you know and like just fucking dark or at least sober sobering is with a little bit of levity yeah and so it was actually a kind of a wonderful weirdly one i mean not wonderful but like a weirdly wonderful experience like watch the nurses come in like some trinidadian nurse and like bust his chops and then i bust her chops and everyone's busting chops and you're laughing that's the only way to deal with Something very real. You go to a fucking mall. It's what you're talking about. It's the internet. It's there's no one is thinks they're gonna die ever. They're just right. browsing for sneakers and right. That's anti-human. It's anti-life, and that's the problem. So we live in this world that's that's built around the denial of death, except for hospitals, except for very special areas, and even in hospitals, you don't see dead people. Right? Once they die, they're like, whoops, okay, out of the room, boom, yeah. gone. You know, um, that we we. I guess the point I'm trying to make is that 
insulation is isolation, right? Comfort is numbness. And they're just two different words for the same thing. And so we've built this world of comfort of, you know, like we don't, we have warm showers. We don't need to take cold showers. We've got everything set up to, for our comfort. And then we're, we feel dead and we feel there's no meaning and we're depressed. Well, you and, certainly don't grow. All right? you, have, you sort of have to be annihilated in order to grow. That's sort of how it works. You yeah. build a fort and burn it down and then you become a different right, person. Right. I mean, I feel like that's also very true. You have to go through some fucking pretty difficult shit in order to. And you have to face what's change. real. Yeah. In order yeah. to change. There's no version of changing without. Yeah. And that's what. Some that, level event. Yeah. And that gets back to your point earlier about the way you felt in films when you were a kid. And, and I guess still do. And I, I feel the same way. My favorite kind of film is the film you walk out of the cinema and you just don't want to talk for a while. Right. You just want to like, wow, that. That rocked me. And know? there's a thing of, you know, your war story that's bleak and grim and incorporates love. To me, that's, I mean, I've never been to war, but it's in a movie, that's only half of the story. Like when there are like dramas that are just dramatic, like the darkest, saddest movie about sad people dealing with death and yeah. whatever, separate, and it's yeah, just it fucking it. that. Yeah. I don't cry. I don't care. No, I feel manipulated. I, feel, I get angry. It doesn't work for me. It's not real life. Yeah. That's not people. That's yeah. just fucking drama. I will be, my emotions will be accessed if I spend the first 45 minutes laughing. You know, I will fall on, it's like being on a date. If you can get them to laugh, you can get them to kiss you. If you can get them to laugh, you can get them to cry. That's just what life is like. You fall in love. It's wonderful. Then something gets taken away. It's horrible. But it gets inside of you in a way that is so yeah. palpably tender or yeah, something yeah so when movies just are like bereft of any humor all movies even a fucking horror movie that's just like anti-life that isn't what it is like so to me that's like the number one problem with things that aren't just comedies is that they forget to put some levity in there otherwise they're not going to be fucking effective and that's why Werner Herzog's so great funny he's funny he can be funny while he's Talking about the deepest, darkest, craziest shit ever. That's the sweet spot, yeah, right? You yeah. don't. It's not one or the other. You don't have to be didact. Yeah. You can't be funny and not didact. You can do all of the yeah. things at once. Yeah. To me, that's the best stuff. Yeah, I'm with you, man. Beautiful. I'm working on that. <laughs> I'm working on those kinds of things. Do you want to talk about any projects coming up or anything? Or you, it sounds to me like you just plan to make kick-ass movies. That's are you uh, are, are you going to do stuff more studio stuff, or you want to do more independent things, or I guess both, right? Ultimately, both. I mean, I want to make big movies that everyone wants to see, but I also want to. I'm being, um, I'm being thoughtful about the choices that I make because my mm. first movie wasn't Sex, Lies, and Videotape. My first movie was a very Harold and Kumar 3D Christmas that Owen and Gleiberman gave an A to Entertainment Weekly. It doesn't really matter, though. It does. But It matters to people but I made, matter. But I made that movie, which was a really, you know, made money. It was a big movie. It's, it's, it's movie. a very a strange debut movie. I mean, but that it's was a weird debut movie, at. right? It's, it's kind of like when James Cameron made Piranha 2. You know what I mean? It's uh, like one of those. Yeah. So it's kind of like you now you want to go make 
fucking validation the movie. You want to make right. the ta- the TSS the thing that's you because right. you were picking up a franchise there. You were yeah, and, I, and, you I, know. and I put my put myself into it. I right. did what I and you could. did a good job. So they they yeah. know you you can bring I tried the goods. To infiltrate myself into someone else's movie, right? But I really want to just make my fucking movie, right? And that's what I have been working on for the last mm. year. And I and I and I turned things down. I turned things down. Mm. Um. Which isn't easy sometimes. Yeah, you know, especially early in your career, you never know. I mean, you're always thinking like, if I turn this down, is anything else coming? You know, it's, I know. Yeah, exactly. But there is a thing of wanting to sort of define the kind of yeah. storytelling. And you're right. Now's the time to do it. You don't want to do another. And now's the push time. it off. And now's the time to do it. Not yeah. to say that I want to make you know weirdo little you know black and white rape movies. You know, that's not interested in that. Nobody mentioned rape. I want to make. I don't know where rape came from. I want to make singing and dancing feel good movies. I'm raping in the rain. (laughs) That's what I want to do. I'm writing one of those. I'm writing this like a Broadway Danny Rose in the future movie with singing and dancing in the future of New York. A yeah. musical? Are you, is you ready tap a musical? Dancing, yeah. Tap dancing. People forget that dancing was very cool for a second, and now it is very lame. But it is cool. Tap dancing. You know, tap dancing is interesting. It it's it's one of the. Th- I interviewed a historian recently, Thaddeus Russell, I, and I hope he appreciates the fact that I've mentioned him on several podcasts. He uh, wrote a book called "Renegade History of America," and he one of the things he brought up is that tap dancing is originally Irish. It came from old Ireland and uh, it sort of merged with some African traditions. Hmm. And it, so the tap dancing that started in like Congo square in New Orleans and all that kind of stuff with the, you know, the black guys doing that, that was originally an Irish tradition that because Irish women and children were sold into the slave markets in the 1600s. That would fucking happen. Yeah. 80,000 Irish, Irish women, women and children, women children were sold into, to, to by Cromwell's slavery. brother. Yeah. And that's how and tap that's, dancing kind of That's emerged. how tap dancing is. There's, uh, there are uh, discernible traces of Gaelic pagan traditions that have been integrated into voodoo. Fuck, man. Uh, as late as 1800, there were um, blacks in Jamaica who spoke Gaelic. And that's why the Jamaican accent is a brogue. This is why I'm friends with you. That's for little nuggets like you've been, that. You've been wondering for, be for an hour and a half. You've <laughs> been wondering. I like he had a stroke before. <laughs> what the fuck? That's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. I find it just so amazing that like you, you can bring anyone. You could bring like the, the fucking some hipster douchebag snob to go see some tap dancing and there's no way to not smile when it starts. Yeah. It's so stupid. <laughs> it's such a ridiculous and, and, and talent the, to and, have. And the, the way they move over their feet it's is... just ridiculous. It's, it's, but it's actually fucking joyful and yeah. incredible in the yeah. most wonderful way. I love it. So I'm yeah. trying to... So you're getting some that. like futuristic tap dancing. So they're going to be like... They'll be tap dancing with a jet pack. Yeah, it's like Fred and Ginger humanoids. It's the whole situation. Ah, <laughs> It's, I'll send it to you when it's finished. It's almost finished. I love it, and I'm gonna. I'm making a new short in two weeks. That is, uh, yeah. it's gonna be pretty. If Alibation was like aggressively like heady and gruesome, I guess you would say like. Well, but also sexy and, and sexy. It's and and ev- uh, very moody. I moody. found it very evocative. Like, yes, it's like a very aggressive fever dream. That's the idea. The idea was well, parts do, of it are aggressive. Parts of it are, are like even the style of it. Yeah, like how dark it gets. How the camera is moving. What the yeah. music is doing. It's very aggressive in yeah. that kind of a way. This new thing is going to be equally as aggressive in a purely emotional way. I'm gonna. 
yeah. Is this the semi-autobiographical thing you mentioned? Yeah, man. It's fucking vulnerable as fuck. It's going to be aggressive. Is that that what it's called? Vulnerable as fuck? No, it's called All's Fair and Love and Whore. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Okay, we're we're so waiting for that. for that. Keep everybody. an eye on that, everybody. Yeah, keep an eye on that. That'll be October of Christmas. 2013. <laughs> it's funny though. Is it funny. in 3D as well? It will not be in. It'll, no, it's not going to be in 3D. <laughs> All right, listen. This has been fantastic. It's been worth waiting a year. Is there anything you wanna you wanna say before we uh, we sign off? Uh, no, thanks for having me on your show, man. Yeah, it's great. I'm, I'm I fall asleep to your show on airplanes, so I hope that someone does that to this right now. <laughs> You fall asleep to my show? Yeah, I almost fell asleep when you came into the house earlier today because I had <laughs> because of my, my to your voice. fucking voice. Yeah, I do. I have a very soothing voice. But you have these very engaging eyes, so it kind of kept me awake. Oh, good, good. <laughs> are, are you flirting with me? Absolutely yeah, not. Yeah, I think he's flirting with me, ladies and gentlemen. All right, thanks, man. We'll uh, we'll come back and do a part two with Todd Strauss-Jolson uh, after he gets even more famous with uh, All's Fair in Love and Horror. Parts one, two, and three. Hopefully only one part. Never again. (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening. He said, baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you. Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say When everyone you ever know Said it for a headstone Soft touch, why don't you let it out to play? Your heart is in a bird cage, singing in your chest. You wanna shut it up or give it a rest? You're gonna die one day. Why do we waste our time? Think about an obligation, running through a confrontation, wondering what we ought to say. Smoke alarms will dance into the ground.